0: My name is Jenny.
1: My name is Ted.
0: My name is Gray. And,
1: and this, this is, is Anamorphology.
2: The invasion, the visitor, the encounter, the message, the predator, the capture, the stranger, the am- the secret, the android. the forgotten, the reaction, the chain, the unmascable warning, the decision, the spoke departure, the second discovery, the, the, the proposed threat, the leading conspiracy, conspiracy, the representation, the deception, the suspicion, The the sacrifice, the attack, diversion answer, the beginning. Revelation. And my name is Casey. Excellent. Hurrah. Welcome, (laughs) Casey. We're so excited to have you. And by have you, we mean see you on our Zoom screen.
3: Yes, it's great to
2: see all your faces. So I know that you've been an Animorphs fan for a long time. Do you want to tell us about your Animorphs history?
3: Yes. I mean, I I don't know. I don't want to overstate. I have been an Animorphs fan for a long time, but not um, as serious as some of you. But basically... (laughs) I do remember reading these books, um, and I tried to figure out when it was, and I know that my town, growing up, they built a new library, and I was able to find the date that they built that new library, because I knew I read them when they were in the old library, so nice. they built they built the new library when I was 12, so I must have read these when I was 10 or 11, because um, it was at the old library, but I didn't read that many. I probably read less than 10 of them in total, and I, there were definitely earlier in the series like it was probably somewhere in the first 10 to 15 books and I think the reason that I didn't go any further even though I really liked them was that my library didn't have them all and they didn't have them in order right an obstacle for many people yeah and I am still like this where I'm like well I can't read them out of order (laughs) it's just wrong yeah you have company in that I think I remember reading some of them I'm reading one of them and being confused because it was referencing something that happened in a previous book And I didn't, I hadn't read it. you could be confused by these books. (laughs) Yeah, You just can't go on like that. (laughs) Yeah, it was probably like, they were talking about the Elemist or something. And I was like, who is that? I don't understand. (laughs) Um, But they definitely made a big impression on me. And even before kind of picking these back up again the last year or so, I definitely could have like still named all the Animorphs, I think, except for Axe. I don't, I did not remember (laughs) Axe. So either I didn't read a lot of books with him in it or... Maybe my brain confused him with Elfangor. I'm not really sure. <laughs> that has definitely
2: happened to my brain several times. Yeah. Also, it England
1: seems like was. a lot of the writers forget about Axe. It's
2: so, <laughs> so true. You're it's in true. Good company. I'm not alone with yeah. that. Great. It's a shame you didn't have a bingo square for Animorphology forgets Axe.
3: <laughs> Sorry, Axe. <laughs> uh,
2: I love him now. He's so
3: funny. But yeah, I made a big impression. And I definitely just remember this idea of like a yerk going into your ear and like penetrating your brain. And the idea that. I don't think I'd read any kind of like something takes over your body type stories before at that point. But even since there are very few, I feel like where the being that takes over your body, like, you know, there's like demons that can possess people. Like, you know, my husband and I watch like Supernatural and that's kind of a similar thing. Or like, you know, there's pod people or whatever, but I had never read something. I still don't think I've read anything else where it can be such a perfect imitation of you because it has access Mm -hmm. to all of your memories. And that idea was like so, it was just like seared into my memory because it was like just blew my little 10-year-old or 11-year-old brain and it was like pretty disturbing but intriguing at the same time. So have you read more of the books now? Yes. Now I have read one through 45, except the Choose Your Own Adventure ones. That's a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> Very wise. <laughs> right, right.
1: The, the most important choice in those books.
3: <laughs> Is to just not read the books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm reading them online. I was like, it's kind of, I feel like it'd be hard to like navigate them. In that format.
1: Oh, did you read the chronicles and like yes. Chronicles, Worked Your Chronicles, Visser?
3: Yes, I read those, and I remember actually Visser is probably one of my favorites so far. I really like Visser. Oh yeah, well, I was really into it. It's gonna be and a this good is conversation a great then. One for you to be on. So yeah. okay, so
1: getting back into them, I want to hear more about like what that was like because you had these really strong memories, but as you were revisiting them, like what was it like? Coming back to the characters, remembering the stories, getting beyond, like, you know, reading about David for the first time or whatever. Yeah, I
3: know I had never read about David. That was, oh, oh my God, so horrifying. <laughs> um, but it was really I, I'm sure that even though my memories from the books are not that specific and like kind of fragmented, I'm sure reading them way back then had did affect the way I read them now. And I'm glad that I was listening to the podcast because I think when I was younger, <laughs> I did, totally did not give Tobias enough credit. Like, poor Tobias. I was like, me neither. boring, he's a bird, lame, I want the cool animals who can, like, turn into awesome things. And especially in the first <laughs> couple books before he has, like, when he gets stuck and he can't morph for a while, I think I would just totally wrote him off. I was like, I don't care about this kid at all. <laughs> poor Tobias. But, you know, like, definitely listening to the podcast has helped me realize how wonderful he is because he really is.
2: We're such good Tobias evangelists. Yeah, great. you really are. Yeah.
3: He's the best one. He's great. I have to say, though, I still really enjoy Marco. Gray, I know that we do not agree yes, on this. <laughs> that's
0: fine.
3: Life is a rich tapestry.
1: The Marco guest slots filled up the fastest. I gotta yeah. say. Yeah.
2: Marco He's... has a lot of fans.
3: Yeah. Well, I think Marco also, he has like a really, in my opinion, I really just love his his plot. He has a really cool, like overarching yeah. You know, story with his mom and everything. So he gets a lot of really exciting books. I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he was one of my least favorite. I think when I was little, but I just I don't know. I appreciate his voice so much more now, even while appreciating some of his jokes much much less. <laughs> yeah,
3: definitely. Of I'm course. also
1: super excited to hear that you have read up to forty five and not beyond, because then you and Gray <laughs> can have a great discussion about what's happening
2: uh...
1: in book forty six and forty seven, and all the way to fifty four.
2: Book,
3: oh man. I will try because i don't know how gray does these amazing predictions every time and she's so creative every time
1: this is like the moment that we at least i've been waiting for possibly other than like david and tobias getting his morphing power back book 45 and what it means for the rest of the series is like the moment i i need to know what you're thinking right now
0: i just the thing is i wanted Uh it to happen i really did like i i wanted this to happen for marco because he, he really does. As Casey said, he has this wonderful arc. I love his story. I wanted this to happen for him. And I'm so glad that it did. And I feel so bad for his father. And so proud of myself for my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> I contain multitudes.
3: I don't know what your prediction was.
0: I mean, this one, I actually didn't get that great, but just like in general, I was like, they're going to uninfest her. She's going to learn all about what they're doing and and be free and be able to help them. And yeah. Check, check, check. And for this one, I think I I said that his dad, he was somehow his dad was going to find out about his mom, which like Uh I skipped a lot of the
2: subtlety, but that part (laughs) I got right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and you did know they would unfest her. I think you had it at book 50 I did. I was off by yeah. I was off by five. You didn't know they would go here so early. I know.
0: This is ten whole books before the end of the series. How is this going to affect
3: it?
2: That's such a good question that we should address.
0: <laughs> thoughts, questions, yeah. et cetera.
3: Casey, what did you think of it? Um, I loved it. I gave it five stars on Goodreads. It was so exciting. I totally read it. I read most of it yesterday and I finished the end today, but I wanted to stay up and just tear through the whole thing because I was like adrenaline. I was so psyched about it. Oh, yeah.
1: It was so good. It's yeah. such a good book. So this ghostwriter did 43 and 33 and I think 41 and 27. Is that right? 27? Seven, Not twenty, twenty seven. 27. Not 27. Maybe one other book, so. but yeah, they're all pretty strong. I think this is by far the best, and it's like such a good. It's like a like a Marvel movie in the best way. Yeah, it's really, really, really satisfying. And like, I knew that this was a big one, but like, it stuck in my mind as like, oh, it's the one where like all these plot things happen. Mm-hmm. But then like the execution of it is also so good. I was like so pleasantly surprised to reread it. I loved it.
2: I was very pleasantly surprised because I did not like this when I was little. I mean, I don't, I don't remember this book very well, and I don't really remember much from the rest of the series very well. But I didn't like at all that they were messing with like the status quo. They were pulling out some of the like really big important like aspects of like the Animorphs whole like setup and premise, and they were changing those, and I was not okay with that.
3: I could definitely understand that, especially as a kid, because like, it's all yeah. about, I feel like as a kid, it's so exciting because it's, it's a span of kids and they don't need any adults. And then it's like an adult gets exactly. in on the secret.
2: That's no fun. Yeah. <laughs> he can't live his normal kid life while fighting aliens anymore. It's like, you know, that kind of, it's kind of destroyed for Marco in this book. So I was, yeah, I was very like unsettled and not okay with that when I was a kid. And I expected to have more of those feelings reading it now. And I actually just really loved the book. I'm really curious to see how that will carry through to the rest of the series, because I'm I'm hoping that I just like everything a lot more than I did back then. Uh, but this one, this one was great. Like, I don't, I can't remember the last time we had a book this good. Not in the 30s, I don't think.
1: Do you want to tell us specifically what happens? Oh,
2: man, I do. Yes. Okay. So a lot happens in this book. It starts out, and I'm sure this was Gray's favorite part of the book. Uh, Marco is hanging out with his dad and his stepmom. His dad is telling them how he m- is making this amazing discovery at work. They are discovering something he's calling Zero Space. <laughs> Grace shaking her head. It's I, I'm
1: just going to watch Grace's face for this one <laughs>
2: recap. Zero Face. His dad's really excited. Marco freaks out quietly is trying to figure out if his dad's a controller, thinks he's probably not, but, you know, convenes the Animorphs, is like, this is really bad. The Animorphs are like, yeah, the Yerks have to be involved in this, or at least they're going to go after Marco's dad. There's no way this is going to go unnoticed. So they decide to, like, put Marco's dad under surveillance. And then that night, Marco wakes up to a phone call. He, like, picks up the phone. His dad also picks it up. And someone from his dad's work is, like, calling him to... Something bad has happened. Come Come to this address. And Marco calls Rachel, heads over there, uh, is like, I definitely shouldn't smash this window and stop them from infesting my dad. But he does anyway. And Rachel backs him up. There's a big fight. He manages to pull the yerk out of his dad's ear before he can totally be infested. It's great. And his dad is terrified, doesn't know it's Marco. Marco's in morph. He gets his dad to drive off. And there's like a whole car chase. They manage to lose the yerks. But then his dad is terrified of this gorilla telling him what to do and starts to run away. And so Marco shouts after him like, Dad, stop. And his dad stops and Marco demorphs in front of him and reveals what has been happening and explains most things. And, you know, morphs in front of his dad to convince him what's going on. Chooses aunt. Interesting choice. Uh, And his dad's like, we have to go to the police. And Marco's like, "No, no, 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 we're not going to the police. And also tells his dad the final piece, which is, that Marco's mom is still alive and is the host body of Visser One, And this is, of course, really, like, blows Marco's dad's world wide open. I forgot to mention, he's really worried about his wife, Nora, who was left at the house, and Marco's like, it's too late, we can't go back there, they'll be following us. So he takes his dad to stay with the Chi. The Chi managed to fake Marco and his dad's deaths so that there's no suspicion on Marco and his friends. They just have to go into hiding. Then the book sort of pivots and uh, the Animorphs realize that there's a team developing this C-space technology. They could steal that technology or, you know, work with Marco's dad to recreate the technology and intercept your communications. Axe is very uncomfortable with the idea of someone else having developed this technology and it's, it's really great. We'll talk about it. They, they do this. Axe and Marco's dad develop a, I don't know, receiver. It's not quite working yet, but they manage to intercept a few things. And they find out that Visser One is being held in the Yerk Pool. She has been convicted of treason, is being executed via Kandrona Starvation, is going to be dead really soon, and the council is showing up to observe this. And also, I guess, to launch Viscer 3's actual full-on open war style invasion of Earth. The Animorphs are like, this is terrible. That's gonna ruin everything we're fighting for. Of course, Marco wants to rescue his mom and they decide that, yeah, that would actually be a good thing to do because she'll know what's going on. She'll have more information. And we don't want to let Visser 3 get away with this. And also if Visser 1 has a lot of information about us. She could turn us in. So they trick the Yerks into landing a bug fighter by pretending that like some human has seen a hork They steal the bug fighter and fly into this new entrance to the Yerk pool that acts heard about on his like radio transmission thing and uh, it's like underwater inside a sunken ship and the flight is really quite the experience they managed to land the ship inside like this huge docking area filled with lots of ships very intimidating but as they're walking to the york pool the yorks are like what are you doing you didn't follow the flight pattern you're all very suspicious and there's a fight and axe gets back in the bug fighter and Marco and Rachel are running to rescue Visser One, where she's like on the pier of the Yerk Pool, and uh it's all very chaotic. They get to Visser One, the yerk crawls out of Ava's ear, and Ava is trying to kill it. She's very like weak and injured, but she's like, Nope, have to kill this yerk. You can't take me away until I kill this yerk. And meanwhile, there are these really like buff Hork-Bajir attacking them. And the seems like the bug fighter explodes, and then Visser Three shows up and it's all terrible, but actually there was a different bug fighter, and uh Marco and Rachel get rescued by Axe and the real bug fighter, and they all manage to escape with Visser one, oh, sorry, no, with Ava, because uh Marco's mom and Marco collaborate to kill the Visser One year. And they escape and take Ava to the Free Horkadir colony where uh, Marco's dad is waiting and they reunite. But it's bittersweet because Nora is now definitely a controller and poor Marco's dad now has two wives and it's very confusing for him. And um, Marco tells his dad that Nora was possibly a controller all along, which is an interesting move we should talk about. Uh, and then at the end of the book, there's like a little bit of time that goes by. x manages just to fix the Z-Space transponder so it can communicate and reach as far as the Andalite fleet. And so they call the Andalites. And uh, the book ends with Jake saying, this is Earth over the transponder. The ant good summary yeah oh thank you yeah
1: excellent summary. did not
2: prepare <laughs> so
1: much happens in this book
0: yes i mm-hmm. think the analogy to an um an avengers movie is really apt at one point marco actually calls it out he's like this is like a hollywood blockbuster summer weekend movie It's like yes i'm exactly. sure he meant an avengers
2: movie he just didn't know yet <laughs> yeah he was a
0: little ahead of his time there but it's that's exactly right like it's super cool the fight scene at the end is awesome it reminded me of actually reminding me a lot of star wars like there's the, you know the yeah. hanger with all of the spaceships in it, and yeah, that's that's what it most reminds me of. But it's super cool.
1: I was thinking you were kind of saying about how it upsets the premise, Jenny. And it's mm-hmm. like it's almost like if this were the last book, this is kind of like the climax that you expect, right? It's like Whoa. they do all this epic stuff, and then like they defeat the major villain at the end, right? Like you get all these cool, like action set pieces, but then it's like, but then there are nine more books, right? So they, (laughs) they obviously can't do this plot line every time. They can't escalate it from here, right? They're still going to be rotating through the the characters. No, I I just mean like, so it, it makes sense. I think if you read this and it was like the last book or like the last of a trilogy of final books, or like if it was part of a sanctioned ending, it's very different than just, like, happening here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't think it could be the
2: last one, because there are way too many. Like, Fisser 3 is a major... It's, like, the major villain more than Fisser 1 is. It would have to have oh, been swapped. Oh, yeah. Like, I
1: don't mean in terms of the plot, but just yeah. in terms of oh, the way... Yeah. It's like, okay, well we've gone we've told adults and we can now we can never go back
2: mm-hmm. and
1: they the animorphs have had the capability to do something this badass the entire time right their plan to capture a bug fighter goes completely flawlessly <laughs> like it's it's such a good like competence fantasy of mm-hmm. them like pulling off this amazing bug fighter heist and then the whole thing where they go in it's like super reckless all of the stuff that they do but they're like operating at like peak Avengers crew, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's you love to see it so much.
2: Yeah, for reals. Yeah, it's definitely like, they could have told their parents at any time. They could have told other people. Like, they've occasionally toyed with this idea of like, if we capture this ship or whatever, we can fly it to the White House and tell the world. And as I think we talked about maybe with Megamorse 4 when Axe showed himself to the world, they have had the ability to tell as many people as they've wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you tell enough people, it doesn't matter if you accidentally tell a controller, that kind of thing. But they have chosen to keep the war sort of on this specific scale of, like, guerrilla fighting. And now they're not.
0: Mm -hmm. It's interesting because, you know, that has been one of my things for a while. It's like, how how are they going to tell people? And Marco's dad has a moment where his first reaction is like we will tell somebody like that is what you do you find out about an alien invasion you I guess you call the police you tell somebody certainly and Mark was like yeah no we don't that like we can't who would we tell the police are all controllers you know we how would we convince them and his dad has to kind of accept that as well which is it was just it was fun to kind of have his dad's perspective because again reading these as an adult I've that's was, has been kind of my, my take on it. And so I was like, I'm with you, like call somebody, but like, who are you going to call? The Ghostbusters are not there. <laughs>
2: It's weird, though, that, like, his dad finds out, and in some ways that changes a lot in that now Marco's on the run, but, like, that's not exactly because his dad knows. Mm. Like, having an adult know, his dad, like, influences their plans a little bit, but, like, he's not, like, they don't let him go on the missions. He seems weirdly okay with that.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, I actually, I think the book does a great job of presenting the, like, emotional journey of Marco's dad, but not confronting the... Like, Marco's dad is not an obstacle in the way that a parent realistically would be, right? Like, my reaction reading this was, like, they get to the part where, like, Marco's dad is in, like, Puppy Paradise with the chi, and, you know, Marco's like, okay, we're gonna go, like, steal some stuff from Radio Shack. And his dad is like... That's not a good thing to do. And Marco's like, don't worry. We only steal from, like, controller-run corporations. <laughs> yeah, and, and, then, and we're going to make it like,
0: up to them afterwards, which,
1: right, how right. are no, you but keeping track? Like, how do you not hear the story of the Animorphs and then forbid your teenage son from murdering more people, right? Like, yeah. I feel like that's the thing that doesn't come up that I'm, like, most upset about. Like, why doesn't he say, like, oh, no. You have been killing people that's and that's strange. bad. Ah, killing people killing is bad. People. You need to stop. I don't
2: yeah. I wouldn't expect him to exactly say that. I would expect him to say, "You've been in these dangerous traumatic situations. I will extract you now, son. You are like, a child." Well, like what are No, no,
1: no but like I, right, it's just like I get the I don't know. And but like, but, but anyway, you it get It is
2: very weird to zero in on it. Don't steal, Marco.
1: <laughs> no, but you get the dad's emotional journey from like he sort of is like knocked off guard and then he's like we have to call someone and then he's like i forbid you from doing this i'm your father and then he's like okay no i understand what you've been through and he kind of has this realistic emotional arc but like i, I think that he would be more of an obstacle and it's just like mm-hmm. the books don't want the parents to be obstacles yeah. they're yeah, sort of they, like they props for Marco's
0: yeah, they yeah. can't make them to be obstacles because of, what are you going to do for the next nine books? I did think the way the book is structured is really interesting because it felt to me a little bit like uh, two adventures. The first one was Marco and his dad. And mm-hmm. then the second one was Marco and his mom. Um, oh, and, yeah. You know, they come yeah, together, yeah. but it is it did seem like two kind of slightly distinct adventures, both of which center on Marco and, and his parents. But it's like the two of them
2: in their own stories. Yeah. Yeah, I got to the end of, like, you know, when Marco's dad finds out everything. And I was like, what the heck is going to happen in the rest of this book? Turns out a lot. shows <laughs> up. Yeah. I do
3: think that Marco's dad's reaction is not entirely inconsistent with what we've seen of his parenting. Or maybe kind of lack of parenting yeah. in, in previous <laughs> books. Like, okay, he kind of was like the dad who, like, doesn't really know how to be a dad. Like, even in the, the invisor when we saw the flashback, he was kind of this, like, I'm just going to watch sports on the couch. And, like, honey, you got the parenting thing, right? like he was kind of like kicking back and just letting his wife take care of the parenting and then when he thought that she was dead you know he understandably like kind of fell apart wasn't really there for his kid and then even when he met nora he like didn't really know how to approach the situation with his kid and he was like uh should we get married i don't know what do you think 14 year old son you know so he oh, doesn't no. really That's such a good point. know how to like right I, i'm not i'm not Exactly saying he's a bad parent, but it's just like, he sort of is a little bit clueless sometimes. And he's not really, he's not like Jake's dad or like Cassie's parents who are like, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a talk. And like, let's talk about like, I I don't know. He doesn't, he's like, I'm the parent, right? Like, I'm supposed to be in charge. And Marco's like, you're not in charge. And he's like, oh, okay. (laughs)
1: yeah right he doesn't actually he doesn't want to be the parent right like i think i think you've convinced me he's like (laughs) he's a scientist right so once he accepts that like rationally aliens exist and if i go to the police they'll kill me he's like okay cool i can let my son figure it out right i can see that being secretly (laughs) take it from here please that's like it's very plausible to me
2: I would love to see more of Ava's reaction, though. I mean, she probably was more of a hands-on mom, but also she knows more, like, viscerally, if you'll allow me that word. Oh. Um, <laughs> I will not. What it's, <laughs> Absolutely What it's not. like to be in this war. Like, she has experienced the horror. She knows what Marco's getting up to. We get
1: that moment in Visser. Right. So she Mm -hmm.
2: might be just, I accept that this is what you have to do. This is your role. I can't shield you from this. I don't know. It would have been nice to see more of that. Maybe it's just implied.
0: Yeah, I also think, though, that she's... She's seen it in a way that his dad hasn't, right? Like his dad hears the story, but Ava sees them in action and has to rely on them in a way that I think would help her accept his role and, and the Animorphs' role. And kind of accept them as leaders of this movement in their own right. Whereas it's a little weirder for Marco's dad because his only information is like Marco explaining things to him. And it's bad. But I very much sympathize with him being like, how bad could it possibly be? Like,
2: yeah, I feel like that's yeah. Yeah. It's probably easier for him to pretend like, okay, they've been doing this for a while. It's probably it must be fine. Right. I'm just like imagining the two of them in this hork Valley, just like completely isolated from the rest of the world. They don't really know what's going on with the missions. I mean, none of us have kids, but like, imagine having like a kid who's a teenager and being like, my kid is probably off risking his life. But we don't know. We're just hanging out. With these hork
0: Can we use that as a segue into their relationship, Ava? Sure. And what is Marco's dad's name? I don't think we know his name yet. Great. Okay. So I would like you to picture what Jenny has just described, which is Marco's parents in the hork Valley talking about their son off on his adventures. Uh-huh. And then think about the fact that for the last Well, five years, six six years, eight years, however long it's been in question mark Animorphs time. (laughs) Marco's dad has had one very traumatic experience. His wife died, he had to deal with that, but he is pretty much fine. He became a scientist, he's quite good at his job, he has a kid, he got remarried, they have a dog. Like, his life is fine and pretty normal. Ava, on the other hand, has been infested by the third in <laughs> command of the Visser invading army. What are they going to talk about in the hork Valley? Like, what exactly is that conversation? gonna be like, well, they'll have a lot to share, like, you know, a lot to catch up on. <laughs> this book read to me in some ways, like a kind of wish fulfillment fantasy for a child of divorce. Mm. And at the end, again, as an adult, my feelings were very much like, sometimes... People get divorced for a reason and wishing them back to, and that's not what happens in this case, right? I'm not, they're they're not direct parallels, but like, this is one of those situations where his, his poor father has had years to mourn, to get used to life first as a widower and then as a new husband, he has had a new relationship. And as I am not one of those people who thinks you have like the one love of your life without whom you, are, you do not have other loves, like he has fallen in love with somebody else. And now he is supposed to what? Walk away from her and like be happily ever after with Marco's mom, whom he has not known. Like what is that relationship going to be like in the hort Valley? I feel so bad for both of them, but mostly for Marco's dad. He does seem hapless, maybe not a great dad, but like this is not how his story <laughs> Was envisioned to end from his perspective.
2: <laughs> like, yeah, at one point he says, like, as su- when Margot first tells him, he says, "If only I'd waited." And like, you can understand that immediate impulse. Of course, he couldn't have waited. He thought she was dead. He proceeded as a human would and should when their spouse dies. And he got over it. And he says at one point, like, I love Nora like I loved your mom. And that just, like, blows Marco's mind. He's like, yeah, but Nora's, like, a math teacher. <laughs> I love <everything."> that line. <laughs> it was such a good line. It's a very, very good line.
0: I mean, the thing is, like, at the end, too, when they're describing what it's like in the Valley, like Mark was talking about how his mom is. Again, this is kind of my thought about like the, the trauma that she's been through and her PTSD and how she's going to be dealing with that. But it's like, you know, she's got scars all over her face and her arms. She looked like she used to, almost. The change was nothing obvious. It was a sort of tension, a vigilance in her face. It hadn't been there when I was younger because she hadn't been a slave before. So that's his mom and then his dad, bless him, like sees his mom, they run into each other's arms, they have this hug and then like a hot second later, his dad pulls Marco aside and is like, please can we save Nora? Which buddy, how do you think that's gonna work out? Like that is gonna be one hell of awkward valley but also like a very understandable impulse. He wants to, to see his, his new wife now. And Marco says something like, by now I knew that life and love were complicated. And then he <laughs> shuts that down. Like, nope, no way to get her back. She just, she's a controller now. Sorry, dad, you have to be here with mom. I was like,
2: "What? what is your plan? Yeah, I mean, I think Marco's dad wanting to rescue Nora is, like, 100% the right move. Like, you're right, Grey, that it would be awkward and confusing to have both of them there. But, like, that's not a good enough reason to be like, Ah, yes, this woman that I love, I will leave her to the aliens, because otherwise it would be awkward. Like, yeah, it's definitely not uh, a selfish move. So, I
1: I think you're absolutely right with all of that, Grey. But I think that the book, I think Marco's motivation for like most of the series, has been a like divorced kids wish fulfillment fantasy, right? Like the thing that has kept him together is like, I want my parents to get back together and I can like maybe one day, my you know, my mom's out there and I can save her, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like this book, though, I feel like it goes to great lengths to make Marco feel guilty about the choices that he makes kind of intentionally and, and, and also thoughtlessly. Right. Mm. So like the, the bit at the end, he rationalizes him saying, Oh, well, you know, maybe she's already, you know, infested. Like there's nothing we can do. Like he's like doing him a kindness because he's seen the bright, clear line, but it's also pretty clearly selfishly motivated. He says like, I was supposed to feel happy watching my parents reunite. And instead I feel terrible. So like, yeah. I think, I think it, I think it, this book at least felt like it undercut the like wish fulfillment part of it. But maybe that's just, I don't know.
2: Well, the thing where he says to his dad, like, what if she was a controller all along because you were in this line of research and they sent her into your path? And he's like, maybe this will make it a little easier for my dad. It didn't make it easier for me. And I was like, really? Are you sure it doesn't make it easier for you? It seems like it would make it easier for you. Yeah. Like, to- And a
0: lot harder for your dad.
2: Maybe easier for his dad to get over Nora, but it is, of course, completely possible for them to rescue Nora. Maybe a bad idea because it would call attention to the family or something. Sure, sure. Like,
0: I'm not saying it's a good idea. What I am saying is, like, you telling your father that the woman that he fell in love with maybe was faking it to get close to him. It's, like, not the kindest thing to do, (laughs) even if it helps him get over her. Not least because Marco has no proof that that is true
3: yeah i don't even think he believes that to be true so
0: like i feel like he is very throwing nora under the bus so that his dad can get over her in a way that i was like a little uncomfortable with
2: right and he has ulterior motives for wanting his dad to be happy with his mom and to get over nora so i very understandably but like
0: casey you were nodding along do you have arguments with any of that
3: no, I mean, I I do think he was trying to be kind to his dad, but also tell himself this lie. And he, he didn't work on himself. He was it was like he's like, maybe this is true. It's probably not true, but maybe this will help my dad. And that's all I can do for him at this point, like in that relationship with Nora, because it, it sounds like he's pretty clear on like we are not going back to rescue her. I do think it would be a bad idea. I do think it would call attention to the Animorphs in a really mm-hmm. unsafe way. But also, of, of course, he's like, why would I bring back this woman who my dad loves when she's now, he's now back in the same valley with my mom, finally. Mm-hmm. So definitely both of those motivations going on.
1: Well, a couple things. So one... The irony, right, is that the best years of his life with Ava were years he spent with Edris, right? We learned that
2: oh no, that's way right. back so in painful. book like,
1: 15 or something, right? Yeah,
2: I forgot about that. So that's
1: that. going to make it even more awkward. Whereas, like, Nora was not the, like, Manchurian candidate. They actually fell in love and like had an awesome relationship, right? So like it's even worse than it kind of seemed initially. But I think I think it's really interesting how the decision to not save Nora is like not something that Marco does intentionally. He kind of forgets about her until it's too late. And like mm-hmm. part of the the way the f- the first half of the book goes down is like yeah, it's, like, so exciting that he he's able to intervene and save his dad in this really heroic way. But it almost goes wrong so many different times. Mm-hmm. And you have that moment of, like, oh, well, could I go save Nora now? No, it's too late. We have to keep moving. And he's probably right. Like, yeah. he's, it's it's almost certain, like, you could have written it, like, and then we heroically save Nora too, right? But he's almost certainly right logistically. We've gotten so lucky so far I have to write her off now. And he, even when they get to the Chi, he's t- saying to his dad, like, oh, they probably already have her. Right. He's like, he's just trying to say like, I made this call. Actually, I he's didn't saying really.
2: She'll be fine. They won't get her today, but yeah. Oh,
1: right. They won't touch her. That's, yeah. that's what he says. They won't touch like, her. He's like
2: safe at school.
3: That didn't yeah. make any sense. <laughs> but his dad was like, oh, okay.
1: But he never, he never thinks, aha. I like, he's never, he's never being Machiavellian about separating his father from Nora. And at the beginning of the book, he's cooking for her, right? Like mm-hmm. he's he has he is being very mature about it. Mm-hmm, it's just yeah. like he, you know, part of being able to confess to his dad all these things is being able to be like, "And mom's still alive, right?" And then he doesn't he doesn't get that satisfaction, right?
2: <laughs> it's tough because like the thing where he he knows it would be a bad idea to go after his dad for the same reasons that like you know they couldn't make the Yurks think they were trying to protect Jake's dad in thirty one. Mm. Like, he knows it would be a bad idea. He does it anyway because that's how much it means to him. And Nora doesn't mean that much to him. She does mean that much to his dad. And he's aware of that difference and feels guilty about it. It's like a very natural difference of feeling. Mm-hmm. So one of the very few things I remembered about this book, weirdly, was that comment from Marco to his dad about, like, maybe she was a controller all along. Somehow that really stuck with me. And so this time when I was reading it, I was like, Oh, it'll be interesting to see, like, if there's ambiguity there. I didn't actually think there was. It was pretty clear she was not a controller all along. Yeah. Until that night when... Yeah, because she's, like, asking, like, oh, where's where did your dad go when he's off being infested? Like, yeah. that really didn't seem...
3: Right. And there's some line about, like, oh, and he could see a change in her whole bearing or something now yep. that... And knew that she was a controller.
2: Which could be she'd stop pretending, but, like, there's no reason to think that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not even ambiguous. And I don't know if Marco knows that it's that clear-cut, but...
1: You also don't know, like, why wouldn't Marco's dad have been a target for infestation earlier? Or Marco been a target for infestation earlier, right? Like, the long Mm -hmm. con doesn't even make sense. I feel like... So, actually, let me clarify this now. I thought we never got a definitive answer as to whether the Yurks moved marco's dad's research along or whether it was actually human ingenuity because one of the things that i love about how this goes down is that so there are kind of two things happening in parallel like you get the viscer one screwed up whatever she was doing and so she's being tortured and maybe she would have given up the Animorphs, and maybe viscer three would have been able to wage open war sooner or something like that's kind of happening happening on one axis of like maybe changing things but the thing that blows up the premise of the books is, like, human ingenuity. Marco's dad independently discovers Z-Space. It comes out of nowhere, right? Like, it's very much like the small world world building again. But, like, I love that that's the thing that moves them to this breaking point. Rather than, like, the Animorphs decide that they're gonna tell their parents or tell the president, or the Yerks, de- like, deciding that they're gonna do something else, right? It's very much like they're uh, trying to scramble to deal with something that no Nobody could have predicted. Right. So like, I can't imagine the Yerks like tracking Z space research this closely. Like I, I much prefer to think of it the other way.
2: Yeah. yeah. I'm sure they would underestimate humans the way Axe does when he's like, there's no way humans discovered this. Mm-hmm. Sputters for a while.
0: Uh, Yes. I love that scene. And we should talk about that um, <laughs> a lot. Cause it's so good. But I, I, I agree. I don't think that the Yerks were helping with this research. So some of that whole part seemed a little odd. Like when were people infested and who was driving that and kind of why? And I mean, I get why, because you might as well have more controllers, but was it specific to their research? Like were, were the Yerks trying to control the research? They already have this technology.
2: I was a confused. Yeah, but I think you don't want humans to have it. Is the thing like they are anticipating war with humans? So they don't want humans to have more power than yeah. they currently have. That's fair.
1: Is the discovery of Z Space by humans explicitly linked to Visor 3's, like power grab? Or I don't think or so? Not? Okay, yeah, yeah. It makes sense that
2: yeah, I don't think Visor 3's like oh, humans are getting smarter. Time to step it up. But, yeah, I'm sure they don't want humans to develop more advanced technology.
1: Yeah. All right. Are are we getting on the Z-Space train?
2: Uh, I love the Z-Space train. Let's stay on the train.
0: Sure. <laughs> uh, and by stay on the train, you obviously mean run that train off the tracks and just keep it running, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I don't know anything about quantum mechanics. I don't know anything about technology or anything else. As has, I'm sure, been made abundantly clear <laughs> throughout the many episodes of this podcast where I have talked about things, and it is clear that I don't know what the sh- I'm talking about pretty much ever. But this is nonsense, right? Like, nonsense. What, what is the word that they use? Conical... Oh yeah.
3: Even that part in the beginning where they were like trying to do the thing where they're like breaking it down with a metaphor about a cone. I was like, I don't understand this at all. I don't, if I had read this when I was 10 or 11, I would have been even more clueless. Like I was like, is it because I would never took physics or is it because this doesn't make any sense?
0: <laughs> I'm relatively certain it is because it does not make sense <laughs> like at all. And like, I'm telling, I mean, this is very much based on like and then I looked at Wikipedia. So, like, obviously, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. But, like, conic sections are not a thing that, to me, screams like quantum entanglement and the ability but to move the things. The
1: point of a cone touches an <laughs> infinite number of sides at once.
0: What does that mean? <laughs> Like it, it
1: definitely de- right, it definitely means you got high in like freshman physics <laughs> and We're like talking to your roommate about infinity.
2: That, the whole, cone that whole explanation means a singularity. The place where all lines intersect. The place no, the, where you the can. The place head where, out where the AI becomes smarter than humans and
1: programs smarter and smarter AIs exponentially.
2: We've been stuck on the surface of the cone all this time, Ted. When we want to go anywhere, we have to travel on the line. But now imagine someone notices the singularity a point with no size no breadth no extent the physical representation of nothingness by itself it's nothing yet it's the starting and ending place of everything a multiplier of real space
3: so the the point of the cone the point of the cone is
2: nothingness what about the
3: flat yes. side on the other half of the cone
2: <laughs> <laughs> well that's not the singularity so that's okay that's that's why space (laughs) (laughs) yes that is why space (laughs) no that. that
0: has nothing to do with conic sections which are all about the inside of the cone and how you (laughs) cut it into pieces and like different slices of a cone can be like different shapes and whatever that's not what they're talking about they're talking about the point of the cone which is why I was very confused by this passage for a long time, because I was imagining a point in the center of the cone where all the conic sections intersect. <laughs> and that's not what they're talking about, for some reason. Question mark. Who the f- I
1: really like eating the part in an ice cream cone at the bottom when like all the ice cream is melted down.
0: Me too.
2: Is that the singularity, oh. apparently? Does it taste like deep space? The ultimate point of the cone, it won't taste like anything, because...
1: Okay, I have a really reason. stupid, nerdy thing to point out here, which is that the... The independent invention of the term zero space by Marco's dad means that the Andalite, like, symbolic universal language thing is totally legit. Like, the (laughs) Andalites call it zero space to the Animorphs, hmm So of course they're like able to sort of it's like predestined that when humans invent the technology they will settle on the term zero space as the I don't one.
3: think that's
0: what they were talking about by universal single <laughs> <laughs> oh, No, No, it's it
2: it's pretty bogus that his dad independently comes up with the term zero space and that it also refers to the same thing. I mean I don't know how else we would know it was referring to the same thing. I see why they had to do that, but like also no.
0: So as I was reading chapter one and his dad says something about like, oh, we discovered what could be thought of as a whole new dimension, yet not a dimension. And I put, made a note and then sent it to Jenny and Ted that said, I swear (laughs) to God, if this is about Z space, there will be, and then like half a page later, it was like zero, I suppose, zero space. It's like, God damn it. Fine. <laughs>
3: but like, I wish he had called it something weird, like cone space. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> cone space.
3: <laughs> I'm going to start
0: calling it cone space from now on. Um, but here is, I think I've pinpointed one of the things that makes me so unreasonably angry about Zoo Space. And please remember, uh-huh. this is a completely unreasonable prejudice that I have against Zoo Space. <laughs> but it's just, I
2: I don't yeah, like what it. What would it ever do to you?
0: And I think here's here's why. If you take for granted that Marka's dad is describing zero space as it is understood by the Andalites, which I'm taking as Mm red, then Mm -hmm. his suggestion is that there is essentially a way that all points in time and space are interconnected so that there is no space between them after all. Because all points mm-hmm. the cone is connected to all the points on the whatever. Fine. That that seems quantum mechanicky enough where I'm like, yeah, sure, atoms on either side of the universe are connected somehow. You make them vibrate at the same speed and boom, you have transport through Z space. Fine. That part I have absolutely no problem with. It is the kind of super nerdy sci-fi that I can get into because it involves world building and math, and I don't understand it, but I'm hoping at some point that there's like <laughs> a pencil and ink drawing of like an ant going across like a little test. Someone folding right? a like skirt. That's yep, what yep. I want in my world building from sci-fi and fantasy. Do you know what I don't want? At that point of the cone, when there is no space <laughs> between two points, there also six human bodies floating somewhere where a spaceship can crash into them. No, there isn't! If you're telling me that there's no distance between two points, then there are not six
2: human bodies floating around there! That's not how anything works! Okay, but it does work to have the Z-space landscape be complicated so that it now takes a long time to travel to Earth in Z-space instead of a short time, right? No! No! Are you sure? <laughs> I don't know. I was sure I read that somewhere. No, That's he awesome. said no
3: distance at all. I'm with Grey on this. It doesn't make any sense. Why does it take, like, he ages like to travel from Andalite homeworld now? It should take zero seconds.
1: Yes. He should have, like, looked in the cone and been like, it looks like there's a little a 13-year-old boy in there.
2: <laughs> Just no, a 13-year-old bag of goo. <laughs> right. He didn't recognize it because it was a bag of goo.
3: There really should have been ice cream cones in here somewhere. Like, they should have, like, ended, like, eating ice cream.
2: We should have bought some ice cream cones just to celebrate this. Oh, I such really a, want ice such cream. Such a good idea. I want that such too. Such an oversight. Man. Should we talk about Axe's amazing reactions to all of this? Yes. Ax, yes. I, this is
0: one of the times when I was like... Axe is getting annoyed at the same things I'm getting annoyed
2: at. <laughs> different reasons, very different reasons, but I do love his reaction. <laughs> so Rachel's like, no, no, we got to steal this technology. It's a chance to intercept your transmissions. I, Axe hesitated, began to pace, then spoke again. This human-made device is, seemingly at least, equal to or even superior. I swear he was trying to stop himself from choking on the words. Superior to your technology. And then he just looks increasingly annoyed. And he's like, yeah, it took Andalites forever to develop this. You guys are, you know, did this way too fast. Doesn't make any sense. I know, Axe, Marco says. Humans are absurd and immature, but you're missing my point. If the device was built with man-made components, my dad should be able to recreate it. This time, a definite choking sound. (laughs) Which I'm very amused by because... Axe doesn't have a mouth. (laughs) It's just like a mental choking sound resonating through all their heads. From the hooves. Yeah, are his hooves choking?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, this is like Andalite retching
2: all over again. Oh no. (laughs) All four of
3: his hooves choked.
2: Do his ankles just convulse?
1: Oh no. Axe is on like he's in fine form in this book in like Mm -hmm. a lot of different ways Yes, there's the bit where he's trying to pilot the bug fighter and doing a very poor job of it and Marco's like come on man do you have a clue even a little one and X is like I'm going to need several more if I'm going to be able to pilot this
2: (laughs) And I love the thing where he's like this seems to have been designed for some sort of mutant tax and with extra limbs and I read that and was like yeah right nice excuse That's a and joke, then the next right? well the next paragraph Mark was like man what are the odds oh, terrible luck we steal a spaceship designed for a mutant and I was like is he also joking <laughs> Does he know it was a joke? Oh my God. Does he just not no, give see, Axe credit Axe for is humor? Officially
1: funnier than Marco now,
2: right? Marco doesn't expect it, so he misinterprets right. it.
1: Marco's arc is like he, you know, gets his family back together, but at what cost? And Axe's arc is he gets funnier.
3: <laughs> yes, that is. It. <laughs> I really enjoyed that we got both Axe being a terrible pilot, and then also we got Marco's bad driving in the
2: same yeah. book. Oh, yes. So I was good. like, at one point, Marco says there are bad drivers and then there are like terrible drivers or something. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and you're the second. You're guy. a terrible driver, Marco. But
3: it's then Axe really like magically gets really good at flying that like once they're actually inside the Earth Bowl. He's like amazing at it. He's like dodging yeah. all of the other things. He like drops them in the right spot. He gets them all out of there really well. He figures it out at some point. It just clicks, I guess. Yeah,
2: I think he probably... The the learning curve. They got the other bug
0: fighter that wasn't meant to be piloted by a mutant, so all of a sudden... That's what it
3: was.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that explains it.
2: Can someone explain to me why, if you want to fly a spaceship underwater, first you have to go up into orbit... To accumulate no. sufficient velocity to keep moving underwater, <laughs>
0: especially because when it goes underwater, yeah. it's not like they use the velocity of the fall to get into the way they're going. They turn into a submarine. You did not need speed <laughs> for that. You're a submarine. It just
2: crush them when they hit the surface of the water if they are going. Especially because
1: no, you can you can accelerate arbitrarily fast in the Earth's atmosphere, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely a thing you can do. Sure.
2: It's never caused any problems before. I don't see why it would cause problems. Maybe. Yeah, I didn't. Did, is it that the bug fighter can't propel itself underwater? So it has to have so much momentum stored up? That doesn't no, make sense.
1: No, it's just cool. It's really cool. <laughs> they get to see Earth. It's a callback to book five when they see Earth. This is the uh, Marco's Greatest Hits book. Uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. It's, it's like just really cool and stupid. Yeah yeah, yeah. Earth, yeah, yeah. There's actually
1: a lot of moments like that. I want to talk about them. Oh,
2: okay. Do you want to talk about them now?
1: Okay, sure, sure, sure. So this, there's just so much good stuff. Um, I really do think it's like a Marco's greatest hits book. So it's like that looking at the earth moment for sure the whole idea of the underwater base reminds me a lot of book 15. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, there's all the, like there's kind of the, the fake out where he and his dad fake their own deaths is the mm-hmm. same as the fake out they use in book 30 when it's like, we're destroying the hork Valley, oh. right. To throw the irks off the sand. So there's like a bunch of the more shallow parallels, but then there are a couple of things. One of the ones that jumped out to me is the comparison of his dad to David in a really tough way where he's like, so yeah, I told my dad and now I'm thinking, last time I did this, we condemned that asshole to an eternity of being a rat. And you know, my dad's a nice guy, but like, what if that happens to him? Mm -hmm. And then he has to relive the phone call with Mm -hmm. David Mm -hmm. again. Which is I think this is like the third time the third that this, time. this thing has come up because what was Marco does it time? with David, Jake does it with Marco, mm. right? And then
2: Marco does it with Jake when Jake is calling his dad. Oh you're right, Jake calling his dad. Right. So Marco so, has to yeah. so Mark it it's the times.
1: third time it's the third time around for Marco. Marco does it with David, like saying don't be an idiot, you can't call your parents. He hangs up the phone, he does it with Jake calling his dad, and he does it here with his dad who's trying to, to reach out. That just, like, really, really got to me as, like, a, I don't know, kind of the way in which Marco, like, it's, like, routine for him in a way mm. that it shouldn't be, mm. right? He like, he knows what to do. He's been through this before. He's like, oh, they're going to make a stupid phone call. I'm going to use it to show them that I'm right and they're wrong. la da The moment that really jumped out to me as a callback, though, was the beautiful passage where he demorphs in front of his dad for the first time. Because back in the first Marco book, There's that awful moment when he sees Visser 1 and realizes it's his mom and he's in the gorilla morph and he wants to reach out to her. And Jake is like, don't, you can't say anything. You have to not say anything. And here it's the same thing. He's looking at his dad being like, I really want to tell you my story. And then he gets to finally demorph and...
2: So it, satisfying. Yeah, and, like,
1: and his dad is like, I don't understand this, but I just want to hold my son. And then the chapter ends with Marco being like, and then I told him everything.
2: It's, Will you read that passage? Because it's really good.
1: Uh, yeah. Dad, I called in thought speak in the voice that was my own. He froze, turned, looked back at me. In the glow of the car headlights, I began to demorph, to slowly transform from beast to boy right before my father's eyes. Dad stood still as a statue, eyes wide. As my body took shape, I saw tears start to well in his eyes. It's me, I said as soon as my human mouth formed. Dad gasped huskily, stepped toward me through the grass. How? I don't understand. He touched my hair, my face, my shoulders. Then he grabbed me, hugged me. The tears on his cheek dripped onto my own. How? He said again. It's a long story, Dad. A really long story.
2: (sighs) Ugh. It's so good. They've been building the tension of, like, they can't tell their parents. They're living this secret life. They're trying to fight this war and be ordinary kids, and they can't let anyone else know for so many books, for, like, 45 books. And now this scene is, like, such a satisfying, like, burning of that tension. He's actually telling his father. It's amazing. And I hated it when I was a kid. But now, I mean, I knew it was coming, so maybe that's part of why... But also I think possibly I'm less emotionally dependent on these books continuing exactly as they are. (laughs) And I really loved like finally like snapping that one bit of tension. And like, there's still a lot of people who don't know, but like this is the first time that's like the most satisfying, I guess. I don't remember the other times.
3: It's a really nice moment between him and his dad. It's like, it must be such a release and like a relief for him to finally tell his dad. He's probably thought about telling him so many times. And like, he finally gets to share this part of his life with him. And then it's, like, two minutes later, he has to be, like, okay, cut you off the phone, back to business, I'm in charge now. Like, now I've I've been doing this, and now, like, I almost have to take responsibility for you, too, in a way. Like, now their dynamic just, like, instantly switches. It's kind of the last chance that Marco gets to be, like, the son and, like, be comforted by his dad. And then he's, like, all right, now, like, I'm the one who's in charge, really.
2: Right.
1: And there's that, that just reminded me another great, great moment in a book full of great moments is when after they, um, fake their deaths at his house, he has that bit where he's like, well, I'm leaving my house for the last time. And he sees like a photo of, is it him and his dad and his, auntie? no, and it's his mom? just
3: him and his dad.
1: Oh yeah. 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 Mm. And then, and then he's like, well, I really want to take this with me. But then he's, he's basically like you know what, I'm not going to take anything. It's just going to be my memories from here on out. And then he flies out of his childhood forever, right? It's like, yeah, you can't get much more literal than that, but it's <laughs> so well done.
2: Yeah, he has the realization at that time, like, oh, my life as a kid is over. And like, yeah, like Casey, you were saying, like he doesn't have to keep up the pretense, So that's great. But he loses the role he was pretending to have, which was still genuine in a way where he's like a kid and answering to his father, now that's not who he gets to be anymore. Yeah. Like it was never completely, it wasn't completely real, but like there was a real component. And by giving up the pretense, he's lost it.
0: And he, he says something about, um, he wanted his dad to have the authority again, to to have that voice of like telling him what to do. And he really wanted to have the, that authority figure dad back. And then he realizes he can't have it. And And later on, he says something about, Oh, no, sorry. Earlier, he says the same Earlier, thing Earlier, he says the same thing about Jake. I was trying to remember what order it came in. But before that, he says, you know, he wants Jake to be the one who makes the decision for him. And it's not, he can't have that. He has to make decisions himself. I will also say that Marco's reaction to giving up his childhood is exactly the reaction that I would expect from a 14 or 15-year-old boy. He's mm. like, now I get to watch HBO, play with the dogs <laughs> in the cheap paradise forever. And I thought, what are you going to do next? Like, this <laughs> battle will someday end. You have been declared dead. You have a death certificate, buddy. Like, what are you going to do about that? You don't have, uh, you haven't graduated from high school. Like, what What do you want to do with your life after this is over? I,
2: I understand that that, like, we'll cross yeah, that bridge when we get options, to it. Right? But. Yeah,
1: well, that's what, yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. It's like. Again, narratively, it's kind of like, okay, this is, he's crossing the Rubicon. He can't go back, right? Mm-hmm. But then they'll have one more final tough battle and then he'll just go, he, he wins, right? Like the war is over, but the war isn't over, oh. right? Like it's, it hasn't even begun really. Like they're, yeah. you know, it's, it's wild that you get that, you get the easy emotional arc. And then of course there are more books.
3: I mean, once they're, like, done with the war and he's, like, 18, I'm sure he could just use his axe's hacker skills to, like, print a new social security number and a new birth certificate and get a new, I bet he will rename na- himself Marco would be super cooler name. Bag.
0: Yeah, all right. I, if you've <laughs> got a hacker on your side, anything is possible. <laughs>
2: Amazing.
1: So I want to talk about the moment when Marco decides to save his dad.
2: You mean when he morphs without realizing or thinking yeah. about it, that he's morphing? In a moment, I'm sure Grey loved. <laughs> his dad had exactly the same reaction
0: that I have, by the way. Screaming? I mean, not not. <laughs> the the ant right, is what you were thinking? Oh, I, I
2: was... no. You were talking no, no, about... No. Uh...
1: The moment when Marco saves his dad.
0: Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, so the way this plays out is it's like the end of one chapter. He basically... This is like there's been a phone call in the middle of the night. Marco shows up. And he basically sees his dad is being held to a portable yerk pool by the guy that was allegedly had just died in a car accident. And Marco knows that they're about to infest him and he's watching through the window and he has his like rational Marco brain is like taking over and holding him back and saying like, well, I I have to let my, I have to let my dad go. I have to, I have to lose him because, you know, they'll, they'll hunt my dad down, then they'll hunt me down, then they'll hunt my friends down. And so if i do anything else then it's over right and then the next chapter begins and he has without meaning to morphed he's found himself in his gorilla body that happens and,
2: sometimes ants morph right
1: and then he yeah. he he says something about how he couldn't he only he had no option at this point he says something about how it's the end of smart and the beginning of right mm-hmm. and he breaks the glass and he gets into this throwdown fight with the controllers And like you said, Jenny, he gets to the point of pulling the yerk out of his father's ear, right? So like a couple of seconds in either direction and it would have all been over.
0: Just before that, he describes why he morphs Gorilla. He says, Gorilla, my outward expression of an inner rage too great to contain. Which I think we haven't seen from Marco before. Like rage has been the emotion Mm. from Rachel His has been more of a detached anger.
1: It's almost earlier series, like book 10 is like, is like aggro Marco, right? And then he gets kind of turned off by Eric going on a killing spree. But, you know, when he was a spider, he ate Axe, right?
2: (laughs) One of the many times he has done that.
1: So the thing about him morphing the gorilla, like what jumped out to me is like, one, it's such a perfectly constructed moment for Marco's morph, because as the gorilla... He can punch through the glass, and he has the opposable thumbs to grab the yerk. Right, like it's not just that he wants to save his dad, but he has the morphing power that allows him to be a hero in this moment and to do this like superhuman thing. And so, it really is a a case of like the fact that he has the tool for the job means that it, it's going to happen this way. Mm-hmm. Right? If he couldn't, if he couldn't morph, he would he probably would just say, you know what, it's for the best, and turn and walk away.
2: It's really interesting. If you compare it to Jake's decision in 41, the decision that was never made, I mean, it's not quite the same situation because it's not, if you save your dad right now, you will actually doom the entire world. Because it's more abstract, like, this will have a ripple effect. That he, Marco is such, like, a bright, clear line person, and he was willing to sacrifice his mom at one point, and here he just takes the other path. Like, he isn't able to find that cold space inside himself. And maybe he wouldn't have been able to in... No, I guess because he does, like, charge his mom in 30. So, like, it's interesting how he has this very strong division in him between this, like, here is the choice that is sort of maximally right for all the things I care about. And here is the choice that I desperately care about right now. And I don't care about the other consequences. This would be his split, I think. Yeah. The two Marcos.
3: I think that Marco kind of thinks that he's like this really analytical person. He thinks he is just about the clear bite line. He thinks he can always separate his emotion. And this is just another time where he, he really can't. But it's really like Marco saving grace. Because if he was always the right clear line person, he'd be evil. He'd be like devoid of humanity, right? But it's like he has this humanity where he, he does care about people and he has this like Rachel-like loyalty, you know? And I think too, like when he was going to sacrifice his mom, he knew that in a way he would also be, like, he would be freeing his mom, too, because it was also killing yeah, the yerk. Yeah. And in this, it was, like, his dad, he'd already lost his mom. He can't lose his dad, too. And it was, like, yeah, the moment that he never got with his mom to save her from infestation. And he, he, like, finally gets that chance with his dad. And so when he says that thing about, like, forget the clear, bright line, forget smart, it's about whatever, what does he say? The end of smart, the beginning of right. The end of Smart, the beginning of the right. I was like tearing
2: internally. And I was like, yes, save your dad from the Yurk. We'll figure it out. (laughs) It was so good. (laughs) I loved Cassie's reaction to that. Because Cassie is like always the one who recognizes the human element in morality that like what people can and can't live with, what she can and can't live with. And she says, you know, it's okay. Nobody ever said it was easy for you. I know I couldn't sit by and watch the Yurks take my parents. And you shouldn't, Rachel said fiercely. Cassie's right. Marco acted like a human being. Which is what you were just saying, Casey, about like, yeah, it's what makes him human and not a villain, not terrifying.
3: Yeah, Cassie's so smart. She said it better.
0: She's so smart. She has another awesome moment. So that's the the dad one. But for when his they're thinking about what mm-hmm. to do about his mm-hmm. mom. Oh, who yes. is you know, going to be Candrona starved in the middle of the Yerk Pool, which we'll come back to, but he doesn't want to say because he knows that this was not the plan, right? He saved his dad at the expense of betraying the animorphs, kind of, although it, it worked out this time. So he doesn't feel that he can say anything about Visser One about trying to save her. And so he just, he's gonna hold his tongue and not say anything. And. Read this part, it's good. Yes, so good. Cassie's voice sounding clear and innocent and persuasive. If Axe can't be sure what the Yerkes are planning, there's only one person who would be, meaning Visser One. She was taking me off the hook. She was giving me the chance I couldn't ask for. Every muscle in my face tensed until it hurt. I would not cry. I just wouldn't again forget that, in some ways, Cassie is the bravest and the smartest of my friends.
2: What a thing to say oh. about Cassie! That's I know. just like so good, so powerful.
1: That just reminds me that throughout this whole arc, when in fifteen and in thirty, when Marco has like he's been seeking closure, but I think the the other animorphs always have known that he's he can't be in effect, he can't be effectively in the fight. If he doesn't have that kernel of hope. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because he was almost on his way out before he got it in book five. And like Rachel goes out of her way to tell him, you know, she might have survived at the end of book 15. Mm-hmm. And Cassie in 30 is like, Marco, you can't be the one to kill your mom. It will take you out of the fight forever. Right. Like mm-hmm. she like knows him better than he knows himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's great to see them. And and Rachel's supporting him. In this book too, in a really amazing way, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she comes and saves him and his dad in the beginning, and there she's like no judgment. She's just she's just like, like, I'll see you, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I forget exactly what she says, but she they skip over the part where she's like, How could you do this?
2: Yeah, yeah. I so Marco tries to call Jake, Tom answers the phone, so that doesn't mm. go anywhere. And then he's like, Can't call Cassie. Her parents will get in the way. Uh, which is weird, like Rachel also has parents, I don't know why that would be a different thing. Uh, but Rachel was definitely the right person to help him there. And I wonder if he wanted to call Rachel to avoid judgment. Like I don't think Cassie would have judged him because she would understand. Like I think she would want to save his dad too. But
0: What was the other book where the where Marco and Rachel got paired up? Not megamorphs, but the two of them...
2: Um, Forty, they do, like, the B thing together. Maybe that's
0: what I'm thinking of. But they, I think they, they, as we discussed before, they play well together in some ways. This is actually one of yeah. the times when they don't. We, we talked in the past about how it, they are a good pairing because Marco has the kind of logistical, tactical stuff, and Rachel has the, like, strategy and also the just punch things really hard and see what happens yeah. approach. And this, they kind of switch, where...
2: You know, mm. he's
0: the one who kind of punches first and asks questions later.
2: But she then also just punches, Yeah, and then she so.
0: shows up and she's like, all right, I guess we're doing this now. Wham. I love Rachel for that, but.
1: Yeah, I also wanted two little bits of characterization of Rachel that I loved. One, that she's studying in the barn and Marco's like, oh, I'm so annoyed. Why does Rachel have to like still do well in school after all of this?
2: (laughs) Like she's not happy to just be beautiful. She also has to be really smart.
1: And then, and she's the one, like, I feel like normally Cassie or Axe or Marco, not a Marco book would be the one to come up with like the clever plan before anyone else. But Rachel's the one who's like. We can intercept communications yeah. using this radio. Obviously, that's a really smart thing to do. And then everyone else is like, <gasps> whoa. <laughs>
2: and Marco's like, I should have seen that. But of course, he's all clouded with all the emotions going Yes. On. I really liked, before the thing where she was studying, he calls her my fellow warrior. Mm. Which is just so great that they have this sort of special bond. Yeah.
3: yeah. And then she's also the one at the end, they drop down the two of them onto the pier and they go kick oh, right. Hork Bajir's butt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good point. Also, like, remember the Hork Bajir who has like the blue bla- band? And I'm like, ooh, it's like Ninja Turtle Hork Bajir. Okay. And then they like <laughs> kick his butt.
2: And then that's the same Rachel one. on the pier where the like really tough Hork Bajir is like, I am whatever his name is. I'm here to kick His name is Graf. <laughs> Surrender now and she's like, this guy must not know me very well. And she's yeah. like, a Horpajir will die on this pier, but it won't, it be, won't me. be me. Mr.
1: Graff? She calls him Mr.
2: She's <laughs> <It's> so, <laughs> so respectful. It like doesn't make any sense, but it's so good. It doesn't make any sense what? Like the Mr. Graff thing is like like why? To have these like intense Horpajir? I am
1: Graff. Well, okay.
2: It's like, Green Beret. To me it's like
1: it's like it's like video game logic where like you get, to, you know you're on. The, you're finally on the mission to rescue Marco's mom, and you know the enemies are bigger and have more hit points. Like I don't know. I don't know what's going on. with The blue band or Kujira, <laughs> yeah. where they came from. There, there is just like, a hilarious. No other
3: reason for that. I like how he was the only one who like introduced himself. He's like, "Hello, this is my name," and you're like, everyone else just comes up and like <laughs> right. attacks. But okay, <laughs> sure. That's right, 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 right. good to know.
1: <laughs> no, I think. That's so interesting. I think that, like, Marco and Rachel are kind of the—they're, like, the closest as warriors or as soldiers, Mm -hmm. right? Because, like, Axe also is kind of like a a quote-unquote good soldier, but because he's an Andalite, they're probably not as close in the same way. He's
2: a little bit too much of a follower, to like go off on these side missions, I think, because he's a yeah. little too obedient to Jake, maybe. Yeah, Will like or they're like the, the best
1: like squad mates or something. Like they have mm. sort of, I don't know, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah, there's a there's a kindred spirits in some way.
2: They're both sort of willing to do whatever needs to be done and willing to sort of break off independently a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I do want to talk about how the other animorphs react to Marcos. Betrayal.
2: Yeah. Betrayal is a strong word. Is it not? Saving his dad? Yeah. I don't know that I would call it a betrayal. It's maybe a questionable choice. The last time this happened, it was David.
1: Do the ends justify the means? Oh,
2: you mean like telling his dad the truth? Okay, that maybe is, yeah.
1: This book ends great, but like, does that justify the decisions that Marco makes? Hmm. Sort of the reason I'm asking is because there's definitely another shoe to drop in the Marco-Jake relationship that we haven't seen yet. Because... Jake kind of is like, for expediency's sake, he's like, no, Marco, like, I get it. Like, you'll have to be less involved now. But he he has this bit where he like, several times, Jake is kind of like keeping Marco at arm's length. And even at the end, in the kind of triumphant final chapter, Marco has some line about how they're like, there's like tension in their their relationship or something. Yeah, because it even
0: starts when, at the beginning, um, when they're discussing what to do about his dad, Jake has this moment where he looks at Cassie before making a decision about what what they should do. And uh, Marco realizes that Jake is asking Cassie if she thinks that Marco can be trusted. She says no to Jake kind of silently through their psychic communication or whatever. Um, And so Jake makes the decision that, okay, we're going to keep tabs on him, but it's not going to be Marco. It's going to be Axe and Tobias go off and, and kind of keep tabs on him. And so even from the beginning, there's kind of a sense that Jake isn't doesn't really trust Marco with this mission. And it turns out uh, he's, yeah, he's wrong. right. Yeah. So the line at the
1: end is Marco says, like Jake gave me an inscrutable look that acknowledged our friendship under fire. Yeah. Which <laughs> I feel like is like a, we sort of see this thing. Jake is like, Marco, I can't trust you to make the right call. I'm pretty sure Jake, while he understands what Marco did, if Jake were in charge of that mission, he probably wouldn't have said we're going in to rescue Marco's dad right now. Right. Like yeah, too many yeah. risks, too many things that could go wrong. I don't know that for sure. But like, I feel like the, because it goes so well and because how can you hold it against Marco? He kind of gets away with, yeah with making the, the selfish call. I don't know. Betrayal is a strong word, but I feel like. Yeah.
3: Also like Jake made that call, like, to, you know, the same thing happened in that book where they went to the lake house, like with the dad. Right? Like, Marco's like, you're too close to this. You shouldn't make this call. And then Jake does, anyway. And then there's tension. But then it's fine because it turns out fine. (laughs) Like It's not like Jake hasn't been on the other side of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, this did happen. Maybe the last time was David? I don't know. But, like, Aftran was another time. Like, Cassie really... I mean, she betrayed the ball to a year. That worked surprisingly well. I
1: mean, this is Marco's Aftran moment, kind of.
2: Yeah. Right? It's
1: not at all framed the same way. But, like...
2: (laughs) Leap of faith, yeah. yeah. And they don't, so there's a comparison to David. They don't ever talk about actually making the same choice they did with David, which is giving Marco's dad or Marco's mom morphing power. It just doesn't come up at all. Yeah. They could theoretically help on missions if they had that. Clearly, Marco's dad at least wants to help on missions. They don't address whether Ava wants to.
3: I'm really curious about what's gonna happen with Ava because she has so much knowledge. She could be mm-hmm. there, like if this was real, she could be the leader. But she's not gonna be the leader because it's about is a middle grade book. It's about the kids. Right? Jake is the leader. Because he is, we all know this. It's not going to change. But I'm like, if they don't use her, like at least for her knowledge, and like from everything we know about her, she's such a fighter. Like it's not like the Yurk went out of her brain and she collapsed and was like, "Marco, save me." She was like, "Kill the Yurk, I'm gonna stab it, like crush it." Like she's got this like. And she was like
1: overload the bug fighter system to blast our way out of the Yurk pool, right? Like. So she already did that cool thing where she used her knowledge yeah, yeah I totally agree i'd love I'd love her able to be the leader
2: it does feel like a false yeah like a forced narrative choice in order to keep it middle grade we can't give the parents this power and have mm-hmm. them tag along it would be a really interesting choice though to have Marco's parents following Jake or like the tension there where maybe they don't want to follow Jake maybe like yeah. I can see the Animorphs really, really hesitating before giving anyone else the morphing power mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, especially adults who are going to think that they don't want to listen to the Animorphs, like, different sources of tension than David.
1: I also, like, like there's so clearly better assets for their strategic thinking than... Like just because you have the ability to morph doesn't make you a good anamorph from day one, right? So like you I mean, would you would yeah. need to spend resources training them. They couldn't go on all the dangerous missions, mm-hmm. right? Like the anamorphs got and like forged in this team. They got yeah. forged in this crucible yeah. right yeah, yeah, yeah and like the first few missions, they screwed up a whole ton and you can't afford to make those mistakes anymore, right.
0: Yeah. There's also a sense, I think, the other thing I liked about this situation was they come up with the same solution that I kind of wanted them to come up with for some other issues, which is, like, here are the chi. They have a giant underground facility (laughs) that's basically a paradise. It's very nice. There are puppies. Why don't you sit there for a little while? And then,
2: like, we'll use holograms to fake your Yeah, and, like,
0: for longer-term solutions to this problem, we have a valley full of horpogier who will, like, Mm -hmm. you know, help you and mind you and you can live there out in, again, like nature. Do a
2: beautiful face. I do not of want
0: course. to live in the hork Valley, but the chi paradise sounds lovely. So like <laughs> that, seem, that seems like a very good solution and one that I feel they could have used in other situations
2: as well. So I'm glad they're using it here. The chi paradise makes me think of the current like social distancing shelter in place <laughs> situation where it's like, yes, nice place to live. <laughs> Lots of access to chi net probably. <laughs> You might start to feel a little confined, but it's really important that you stay there. Okay.
1: Living in a field full of dogs is objectively better than everybody's social distancing paradigm right yep. now. Yeah. I cannot possibly endorse that.
3: But it's kind of wasted on Marco cuz he doesn't even really like dogs. He'll learn. Oh man, yeah, that bit where he and his dad there.
1: The bit where he and his dad are both like, "Yeah, we like dogs okay." <laughs> yeah. That's so funny.
3: That's so silly. I have two things I want to say about the chi. Number one. So like the dad is like, oh, why can't the chi just make another transponder? Okay, right? Good question, dad. Um, uh, and then Axe explained, yeah. quote, the chi cannot participate or assist in the transfer of technology that could enable war and destruction. It is written into their programming. False. They do that all the time. They use their own programming to make holograms and like cover for the Animorphs when they're explicitly going out to do
2: death and destruction and violence. That yeah. is it's nonsense. A, yeah.
1: It's a huge plot hole. <laughs> Axe yeah. must just be wrong.
2: I think Axe, Axe just doesn't want to admit he's suffered a blow to his Andalite pride. Humans made Z-Space stuff. <laughs> he cannot... He's like, oh, the cheat can't help. Nope, nope, they can't do it. Yeah. And then my other thing about the
3: cheat was, so I was, I was like, oh, this is such a great idea of like making the hologram of Marco's dad. And then like they, they'll like the Yurks will think that they killed them, they'll think that they killed Marco and his dad. But then um, Eric and Eric's dad, who are impersonating them, get up and walk away. So what does Nora think when she comes back and there are no bodies? (laughs) <laughs> That's such a good question.
0: I didn't
2: think of that.
0: I thought it was that they were supposed to be like completely incinerated down to like a burn mark on the floor. Oh, so there would be yes. none of them left.
2: Yes, you're right.
3: And that that is a good was, explanation.
0: Yeah. So they like got shot. <laughs> Let's go with that. There's the burn mark and then they
2: just went invisible or something. So what I want to know is if they're projecting this hologram, they can project like FedEx truck holograms. Why didn't Eric's dad, who was playing Marco's dad, just like project a hologram here and stand like three feet away <laughs> so that when he got shot he I didn't guess it maybe he would burn the wall too much. Like I'm so angry about that. Now that you've said yeah, that, I did not think really about damaged. it, but now I'm I'm enraged. <laughs> Yeah, they could also project a hologram of the wall not being that damaged. Nora probably wouldn't notice What if, the chi, notice what if
1: the chi are very powerful but not very intelligent?
2: <laughs> that axe was covering for them. He knows they're kind of stupid, so he's like, uh, they just can't I help mean, us with this. Cause... Dogs
1: are not known for being the smartest of animals.
2: Also, I'm Eric was saying. like, I don't know, none of us can handle any sort of medical thing, even though we've been alive for like a million years. We don't know how to do brain surgery. Yeah. He just, you know, can't handle brain surgery. Too complicated. But they are very good at algebra, as we know yes. from actually, <laughs> was it in the last
3: book where, like, they do they uh, Cassie's homework too well. Yeah. But they never yeah. got
2: past that. Oh, right. It stops at algebra.
1: Her parents want to sign her up for That's advanced why classes. That's she's studying
2: so hard in this one. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, oh, no, I have to keep up this facade. So I want to I wanna talk about my favorite Marco and Marco's dad moment in this. They're talking about how it's going to be really hard to rescue Visser One from the Yurk pool. He says, Marco says, the odds are worse than slim. They're dim, dad echoed, and grim. I glared at him. <laughs> okay, so maybe we try to rhyme with each other's last word, but we do that when we're alone. Jeez, dad. <laughs> that was so sweet. That's really cute. What a wonderful father-son thing that they do together. Yeah,
3: it's really amazing. Very cute. They've definitely,
2: like been
3: doing that since marco was like five and like his dad yeah. still does it and like he'll participate in it at home but he's like not a public dad
2: <laughs> it's also it's totally that princess bride thing mm-hmm. where, uh, and, anybody you know, want to peanut
1: <laughs> it's another great <laughs> characterization of um marco's dad Moment when he does get to the Chi house for the first time, and he's like, "Whoa, Eric, you're gonna have to tell me about your rendering program, dude." And he's like waving his hand through his body, fingers
2: in his stomach, (laughs) right? Eric
1: is Marco's. Like it looked like he was an affront to Eric's dignity. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. Eric
2: was too nice to say anything. So good.
1: Oh yeah. So I want to talk about the whole ending deal with um, Edris's last stand.
2: Okay.
0: Oh.
1: We haven't talked about that at all
0: can i ask a question always so the way that yurks eat or are 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 nourished in the world is Mm -hmm. from candrona rays and my understanding had been that the way that worked was they had like a little you know portable candrona sun thing that hung out in the yurk pool and when the Yerks were in the pool, they were irradiated by the rays of this Candrona, and that
2: is how they were fed. Well, the Candrona can't be in the Yerk pool, because remember when they destroyed it, it was at the top of that building downtown. So they, like, beam the rays to the uh-huh. Yerk pool somehow. Yes. So, I don't know. But
0: the rays are, in, in the book where they're trying to turn the moon into a Candrona, mm. the idea that I had was that the, the rays would come down, and the Yerks... They're like radio waves. Like ra- Sure. Like radio waves, and they would come down and the Yerks would be fed. Now, it Mm -hmm. has, it is not clear to me whether the Yerks can be fed while in somebody's head, but I always thought they could not be, right? They need to come out of the head. I think no. Yeah, I
2: think they need to come out of the head. Do they need to be in the pool? Or can they just be out of the head? I don't think we should take 41 as evidence because that was Jake's dream. Fine with that. But like in general, my my question here is:
0: Visser One is in on like a little island in the middle of the Yerk Pool, mm-hmm. surrounded by nutrients which she cannot eat. And the so implication is that it's the pool. But couldn't the Yurk, uh, like, stick his head out and, like, <laughs> get the rays and then stick his head back in? Like, what?
2: Apparently not. Is ha- why can't he get the Candrata? It's in there. There's a can. But you know what is know. weird? Because, yeah, they have her, like, tied to, like, a pole or something at the end of the dock. Sure. They don't seem to have her ears blocked. No. Because once Marco unties her and is, like, rescuing her, the Yurk escapes. Yeah. So was she just being guarded really closely? It doesn't make sense to, like, tie Ava to a pole but not imprison the I'll Yurk. I put Edris in, in one of those little box things. <laughs> well, the box was, like, in the Yurk pool, so I guess they don't want to do that because she won't starve. But. It,
1: it makes sense to me that something about the the york pool sludge is part of the chemical process that allows the yerks to feed. I don't have a problem with that.
2: I think it has to be some kind of liquid because remember in twenty five the Yerks had the plan to like put a Candrona at the North Pole or something and then turn all every swimming pool in the world oh, into yeah. a york pool. So maybe it's just like a pool has to be involved somehow. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Yeah. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> I've complained about enough things. (laughs) Let's
3: go with just that she was very heavily guarded. And if she had poked
2: her little yerkness out of the ear, Mm, they would have have stabbed it. Yeah, or shot it. But... That would have been a better way to go than Candrona's starvation, which was her greatest fear. Yeah.
3: True. But she's, like, always... She's always waiting for, like, the final twist where she can somehow get out of it until she was, like, on the brink of death, you know, but someone wasn't going to leave.
2: That's a good point. Yeah. So I wonder if she just thought being captured by the Animorphs would be really bad, or she thought, they're trying to rescue me. This body's definitely going to die. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The thing that... I find fascinating about this is it's like so satisfying from Marco's point of view and Ava's point of view. Like they team up to Mm -hmm. kill Edris and like no regrets, like no regrets at all about like killing Edris just basically as revenge. Like it's, it's sort of unnecessary, but they, (laughs) they both insist on it.
2: Well, really Ava insists on it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it's so interesting that after all that we get of Visser One, especially after Visser, there's n- you get none of Edris's point of view here, and it's almost like an anticlimax. Like she doesn't have mm. that final. They're not like defeating. They're not like outwitting her, right? Like this is oh, this yeah. is like they're rescuing Ava, and Edris tries to slip away, and they're like, nope, not this time, right? Like it's it's really about the rescue mission, but it's not like a, a confrontation mm. with the series' greatest villain.
2: Yeah. It felt really earned because of how hard it was for them to do under the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. But you're right that, like, Edris didn't really get to make a last stand.
1: Which I kind of like because she's a monster. Like,
2: Yeah. I was very satisfied, like, to see them actually kill her. I was with Ava on that. Mm-hmm. And it was just, like, pages and pages of this battle happening. And Ava is so weak and, like, broken. And she's just like, kill it. And Marco's trying to help, but he's also trying to help Rachel, and he's trying to survive, and it's just like finally... Ava, like, finally gets her hand on the yerk and squishes it, but, like, not enough. And then Marco steps on the yerk and, like, finishes it off. I
1: actually, I I so appreciate the degree to which, so, like, Marco is the protagonist of this book. He has to be the one who kills Visser One. But I mm-hmm. so appreciate how much of that moment goes to Ava. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love seeing that.
2: Yes. And that she was the one, it was her revenge. Yeah. Like, yeah. Marco was doing it because his mom wanted him to. Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah.
1: When she looks up at him and says, kill it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And he's, like, scared at after he does it, he's scared to see the like savage joy or whatever it is in her face.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good moment.
2: Like, thank goodness. Like she was a slave for like five years or whatever. Like that had to feel, I mean, maybe not good, but closure. Yeah. Revenge.
3: Was the council supposed to show up to this year pool and they never did, or was it like they're coming later? Was there something I think where they're the council coming later? Okay,
1: I think there's a coming later element to it. But next book, remember.
2: but it was sort of like they're going to show up in like two days or whatever. Oh, okay. So I don't think it's that they're coming later in the next it's... book. Though maybe they will come later also. <laughs>
1: it's fun how unclear it is whether plot threads will continue because like <laughs> up until this point you can be pretty sure stuff doesn't come back, but now you're like, huh, I wonder.
2: Yeah. How much will this all tie together? <laughs> It is kind of surprising that the council... I mean, I guess it just wouldn't have fit within... The, there's so much already in this book. Yeah, yeah. Like, the council could have been there instead of just Visser three being in there. Which, by the way, that was one of my favorite Visser three appearances. There's just, like, suddenly there's, like, maniacal laughter and the cavern goes silent. And he morphs this big winged beast <laughs> and, like, flies up. And Bark is like, well, we're done. And then he gets shot down. and it's just, Oh, God. Like, he just appeared dramatically and then got, you know... <laughs> Take it out. It was great. There's
1: so much good, like, everything about the, like, bug fire plan. So, like, I I still feel like Jake has a little bit of this, like, oh, I told you so, Marco. Like, I can't believe we're doing this. But... When they all realize what their plan needs to be, they all kind of like get amped up and they're like, you know what? It's just, it's so crazy, it just might work. And
2: this is, this is the perfect Marco full circle thing. Book five was when they tried to use a transponder they built from Radio Shack <sighs> to like oh. access your frequencies to lure a bug fighter and they end up walking into a huge trap and being at Viscer One's mercy and Viscer 3's Mercy. And this time, they come up with the perfect plan to steal a bugfighter, pull it off flawlessly, and go in and defeat Viscer 1.
1: Oh my Such god. a good it's
2: point. perfect oh, full circle. Brilliant.
1: And like, I love... It
2: took him 40 books.
1: I love everything about Jake in that section because it's like his kind of like, um...
2: Oh, quick... and then they contact the Indulite Homeworld, which is well, what right. they were going to have do in the first right list. right sorry right.
1: go on no yeah <laughs> <laughs> we should talk we should say excited <laughs> we should save the last chapter for the end because okay, it'll okay. tie it'll tie nicely into the predictions part but jake is like he's like kind of the quick trigger finger like reckless fly boy jake like mm. that he is sometimes. and he's like you know what i've got this Can awesome bug it. fighter plan right and when they're in the York pool they do their like infiltration thing and they're like huh yeah so like Fister one, super getting tortured. Middle of the Urk pool, everyone's there. This is not going to be easy. And Jake's like, nah, I got this. Come on, come on, Let's do come it. on, <laughs> get back in the Bug Fighter." They
2: like throw some blades. Yeah, and
1: he <laughs> tries to like talk his way out of the situation with the hork It doesn't work. And then they just they just start blowing yeah. stuff up. It's like it's like classic. Jake morphs a rhino, gets the job done. Yes. I love it so much. You're right. And even as they're all escaping together. Right, they're like boiling Yurks in the pool, and like yeah. Cassie gets a little moment where she looks away from the window because yep. she she can at least honor the sacrifice of presumably some Yurk peace movement people and other and other
2: other Yurks who yerks who maybe are maybe aren't yeah. you know specifically villains. Yeah, so good. It really is that
1: whole Yurk pool sequence.
2: This book this book was so well written. I love this ghostwriter. But yeah, it manages to accomplish a lot. And like the Yerkes burning, like the boiling Yerkes thing could have been like too much to have crammed in there, but I feel like it got just the right amount of attention. This book does a really great job of like honoring a lot of emotional moments and making them feel really real and then moving on from them quickly because there's a lot to get through. Those are really, really good. Yeah.
1: Do we have other big topics? Do we want to talk about the ending?
0: I have one one more thing about the, the, the plan. At one point they say, so viscer one is going to be killed and then viscer three will become viscer one are we ever going to find out about viscer two
3: <laughs> who is viscer two very good question why are they
0: not pissed off by this what if they're getting leapfrogged that's not cool
1: i don't know great that sounds like a prediction
2: <laughs> that's my prediction that'll be my prediction for the next book i had a few other things i was intrigued by marco disguising his voice in thought speak and i want to know how that works. oh yeah that was
1: oh, interesting oh no, they've um oh. Aldrea did that in your Chronicles. She does an Aloran voice. Or no, that, that was, she stole Aloran's actual thought speak voice. Yes, yes. Right, never mind, never mind.
3: And also, um, when Marco calls out to his mom, he says mom, but in thought speak to her. And she, she recognizes his thought speak voice. So it definitely, yeah. there is like a thing where there. I believe that, yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I was reminded how much I love Cassie's parents. <laughs> they're in Cassie's barn. Yeah. Marco says, are you sure we're safe, Cassie? She looked up from her math book. You kidding? Cassie said. A PBS documentary on lemurs? A dome ship could land on the lawn and my parents wouldn't even notice. I love them so much. They are wonderful. (laughs) So good. Oh, we got... There's been a secret undercurrent in all these books of Marco having a really good throwing arm. Someone called us out on this after 39, because we were like, why would Marco throw the box across the road? He's not an athlete, what? And they were like, no no no. Remember he threw that ball at the skylight in the mall in book three and let Tobias escape? Like that sounded like a pretty tough throw. And in this one, we once again we get him to like knock out a Horkbajir or something by throwing throwing a globe like a fastball. And I just like, I love all these subtle Things. I think I think the only legitimate prediction for Marco is that he's going to have a baseball career. It doesn't matter if he graduates high school.
3: <laughs> True. Um, can I tell you my two favorite Marco jokes in this book?
2: Yes.
3: Yes. So one of them is he calls a Hork-Bajir a art of War. Yes. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> I forgot. I know, really hard. And then the other one is when they go to the Chi house, he goes, that TV's been on for a year now. <laughs> yes! Oh man. So a little bit, of, now we know it's been at least a year since they contacted the Chi and they've been to the Chi house. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic.
3: Oh, and then there's just the last thing that happens at the Chi house. I was very hung up on the Chi, I guess. Axe um, has Oreos, which is a callback to the man. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I got very excited.
2: He had, he got, gets to try Oreos TM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He gets to call them their real yeah. name. It's yeah. very exciting.
1: He's learned so much.
2: I had a bunch of Adi's references. I think we, we should do, do the references first? and then okay. talk about the
1: final chapter and go to predictions.
2: Yeah. So, Marco's dad is talking about his great discovery. What my team is working on may just be one of the greatest advances in human history. An HBO descrambler? Marco says. Awesome. Very much not the tech we would use. To access HBO now, we'd just share our logins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marco is watching TV, there's old Star Trek, new Star Trek, and then some real world. Amazing. Well, he needs to figure out where his dad is going. So he goes to his dad's computer and finds a minimized window in quotes. It's very important that window is in quotes. The words Yahoo Maps written inside. Amazing. I'm surprised it wasn't MapQuest. I feel like it was MapQuest Mm -hmm. era.
0: In that same chapter, Tom has finally discovered Star Six Nine, which I remember. Nice, but also yes, that was a very important discovery. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's also all that stuff with like Jake and Tom and like phone codes. I love the kind of back to basics, like. They can't let Tom find out, and then mm-hmm. like Marco basically doing the calculus of like, oh man, he's going to be more suspicious, and so I just have to be like, um, it's Marco. I was calling, Jake. <laughs> I even though like you know it would have been easier to say nothing. <laughs> uh, it's so good,
2: right? Because Star Six Nine, you could call the number back, but it wouldn't tell you. It what doesn't the number tell you the is. number. You so just it wasn't them back. caller yeah. ID. Yeah. We had some more praise of Radio Shack. Mm -hmm. Mr. King watched the Today Show, which has made a number of appearances in this series. We had a reference to Independence Day style war. Rachel wants to know if they can encrypt the transmission like they do in the movies, which I guess is not specifically a like twenty years ago reference, but I feel like
0: Can you read Axe's reaction to that? That's a timeless reference.
2: Uh, It will be encrypted in four separate pathways, Axe said, with a hint of disdain. Oh, I might have overdone it. But to your cryptographic equipment, the disguise is elementary. so good. Oh, Marco also calls himself to cuisine what Sammy Sosa is to baseball. Yeah, which... Mm -hmm. Though also possibly he is to baseball what Sammy Sosa is to baseball. (laughs) I think he's got a great future there. (laughs) That's all I had. Were there any other... uh...
1: Ghostwriter notes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah, so at one point they spell Eric's name wrong. And normally that kind of thing can be blamed on the PDF, but as we know, I have purchased the eBooks. So <laughs> how do they spell they it? It's an I instead of two E's. So E R I K instead of E R E K. And I went, that looks wrong. Why does that look wrong? And I had to go back four pages until I found the right one.
2: I don't have that in mine.
0: All right, so maybe That's it just so got weird. messed up in the eBook version.
2: All right, we can call it that.
1: Maybe when they maybe, no, maybe the original was wrong, and the person who tripped, like <laughs> well, no, this one had so many mistakes.
2: I was gonna say. Someone, oh yeah, so this one was pretty buggy. There were like a few places where all the anyway, punctuation yeah, was. There's wrong. a few.
0: There's a few like but. little grammatical things that whatever are. Please, I
2: love grammatical errors. Let's let's have them. A-
0: um, there's one place where somebody um, dad froze and look puzzled. Oh dear, <laughs> I feel that there's. <laughs> One of those verb tenses is wrong. <laughs> Which one? As is, uh, is oh, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, I also uh, this may not this may be a bit of a stretch, but I do very much want to check this box off of my bingo card. So I think there's one point where the ghostwriter forgot who was talking. Where? cassie makes a joke that i think is not a cassie joke i th- I feel it is a marco joke <laughs> but they couldn't have him make it because he was having this emotional moment so they like mm. went back in but um they are looking for Visser viscer one emerge into the pool complex and there she is tied oh, to the where post cassie in the says that was and easy. Cassie's like that was easy and i was like cassie did not say that that's not that's a cassie, not a cassie
2: line. Line. no it's
0: but Marco can't. But say Mar- it. Yeah. yeah, so that my thought was maybe they just had to like randomly assign it to somebody. But it did not sound like a Cassie line, so I'm counting it as the ghostwriter spaghetti stock. Love it. She, yeah, go for it. That's all I had. Do you want to talk about the ending? Yeah. What do
2: they do at the ending, Ted?
1: They call the Endolite homeworld. Yeah, they do. Do you want to finish your thought from earlier about how this is the? Oh
2: yeah. How in five? They're like maybe if we send Ax back, then he'll be able to tell the Endolites that like you know we need them here. And, um, of course, they completely fail. It's a terrible plan. And,
1: and who, do, who does that? Does Axe tell the Andalites that, they, that they're needed? Does Axe oh, tell them?
2: no. Jake doesn't. I know. Because Jake is the commander of Earth. It's great. It is very good. Yeah. Jake, like, I, I just want to read that part because it was so satisfying.
1: Jake's been preparing yeah. to talk to Andalites for so long and he's finally going to get to do it.
2: So Axe Ax has, like, finally figured out how to work this thing. He's like, we have a connection. All four of his eyelids blinked rapidly. His posture straightened. A voice. A scratchy, commanding voice. Who is this? Demanded the Andalite officer on the other end. Who is initiating this contact? It was surreal. This voice. Those words. Our link to another world. Jake signaled Axe to answer, but Axe shook his head. No, I believe this is your moment. Jake glanced at each of us and ran his hand through his hair. This is... He cleared his throat. He glanced back at Axe and smiled. Then he leaned in close to the device. This is Earth, he said. Yay! I, I just, I want there to be more Jake being awesome in, like, standing up to Andalites. Like, that has just been one of my favorite elements. Mm-hmm. And especially in this reread, it's just so awesome And I want to see more of it. Me too. That's my prediction. I predict there'll be more of that.
3: Um, I'm so glad that you noticed, because I didn't, that they talk about Independence Day earlier. And then the final line here is, this is Earth. And then there's a famous line in Independence Day where Will Smith goes, welcome
2: to Earth, and punches an alien. (laughs) It made me me think of that. Nice.
1: Yeah, it's very much like a rah-rah, yeah, human standing up for Earth thing. So when I was reading this, I was utterly delighted to discover that even though when if you were reading along in the Animorphs, you wouldn't have known that they had kind of planned the end of the series from this point. But in retrospect, the bit where Marco is poorly driving on the highway, he takes a sharp turn for exit 54. (gasps) which is the final Animorphs book. So as we go into the like predictions part of the things, the way that Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant kind of wanted to end the series was like, they were basically like, yeah, maybe we're running out of ideas. This ghostwriter thing, haven't quite figured it out. We're bad editors. Like this could just go on until it peters out. We'd rather end it on our terms. So they, from this, this book planned out like a 10 book ending to the series it was cool to see a like call out to that decision <laughs> here where I was not expecting. I
2: hope there's a hint in everyone. I love right that, that very yeah. much. That's super
3: good. I love that. It's a sharp turn. Cause it really is. It's like, <laughs> uh, okay, we're going to wrap this up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I a know. lot of plot in here. Only got 10 more books. <laughs> yeah. Gray didn't expect it to go here. I did not. This point. is very early
0: and I'm, I'm delighted to see it because there have been a few books in the last 10 to 20 books that have had a lot less plot than the series has some kind of needed for it to get to an ending that yeah. will feel justified. It's, it's been patchy. Yeah. So I'm very excited to see that.
1: Yeah. Just to temper your expectations immediately. <laughs> Apple Grant doesn't come back until the last two right. books. And there are at least two in this final 10 that I am not looking forward to rereading. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised, but okay, you know,
2: So speaking of it wrapping up, there's this weird thing at the end. So I don't, I didn't check my paper copy. I don't know how it looks in yours, Gray. But here it's like a string of like black hyphens going across the pages, like black dashes. We do know who they are in like bold dot 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 line break. And we know you too, dot dot dot. Another string of hyphens. (laughs) So that's, that seemed ominous to me. I don't know. Is it that like the Yerkes talking? They know who the Animorphs are and they know us too. Spooky. I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. That's it. not in my book at all. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to need to check okay. <laughs> out you your copy.
1: Wait.
0: <laughs> Whoa.
2: The Yerks got your copy. The Yerkes left this wait. message for oh, no. me. Okay,
1: Grace's gone.
2: Grace's going to see if she has 45. I don't have this one in paper copy. I have the next one. Okay, time. I'll check it when I get when I get home. I was going to I say,
1: great! Time. Did you hack Jenny's phone and replace <laughs> her copy of this book with an enigmatic final? Yeah, I
2: would love it. Obviously, if you done just that. the final. Thing. <laughs> Please think, do
1: that. I I actually think I know what this is. Just over the last thirty seconds, it dawned on me, but I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say.
2: I'm so intrigued.
1: It could also be a weird artifact. And All I'm, right, I'm making. I'm going to for look it up, time. and I'll
2: let you guys know. And maybe we'll let the podcast people know at some point too.
1: Yeah, um, I am so excited to hear about your predictions for the next book and your updated predictions for what's going to happen in the rest of the series. Okay.
0: Shall I go and pull up that cover?
1: Yes. Well, wait before you do. Did you?
0: No. Tell me if I can look at the inside cover.
1: You can look at the inside cover, but I want to hear. You know, you've been reading these books for a while. Which animorph is going to be on the cover? Jake. Yeah. So now you can look.
0: That's not Jake. Wait, is that Jake? <laughs> it's happening? Actually, I can see how that'd be confusing. Okay. Well, there's a whole bunch happening on this cover. Okay. All right. So it's it's Jake book, except that's not Jake on the cover. Who is it? Axe or another Andalite? Yeah,
2: yeah it's Axe. Okay,
0: a- it's Axe. It's
1: it's an Axe book.
0: But it's a Jake book. No, but it's an Axe book. <laughs>
1: It's an axe but book.
0: No! <laughs> My list of predictions is now
2: wrong! <laughs> what are you so There just an axe are no rules book? anymore. <laughs> I just looked at the cover. Oh, it's an axe book. Be great. Are you lying to me or is it actually an axe book?
1: <laughs> it's actually an axe book.
2: It's actually an axe book. Jenny. Yeah.
1: yeah you know what they did? <laughs> this is, Jenny doesn't like the ending because of the content the one thing that I can't stand about the ending is that they they change the numbers of the books that the animals correspond to But
2: well they should have had it be a six book rotation from the start. yes they should it was first totally of all dumb yes, to have obviously, Tobias and but Axe have fewer no books. but I,
1: starting in the middle of the sequence at a Marco what? book they switch to they go characters in order one two three what? four five six
2: what they started at book 41 what what they did the whole they did. Jake through X, forty-one
1: through forty-six. Whoa! You just blew my <laughs> mind, Jenny.
2: No,
0: I learned a thing. I learned the numbers that correspond to the people. I learned it.
2: Yeah, I don't know whose book is whose. Not making me learn new the patterns. you guys. Okay, wait. So does this? You're too old for wait. this. It's
1: it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be mostly bad news. I think. I'm really sorry. Okay, but
0: does it now go? So is now the pattern gonna be Jake, Rachel, Tobias, Cassie, Marco, X? Yep. Yeah. So, so Tobias is the Diversion, Cassie, Marco, acts Shake, Rachel. Does it end on a Rachel book? I mean, that seems like it mathematically. How can I do my endgame <laughs> predictions if, okay.
1: Yeah, it's depending on how you feel about the characters.
0: I had a whole prediction based solely on the fact that it was going to end on a Cassie book.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So you're going to get a couple more books from some of the Animorphs, but only one more book from some of the others.
0: I only get one more Tobias book. Yeah, and one more Cassie book, and one more Marco book. I knew yeah. about the Marco.
1: It really favors acts at the expense of Cassie, I guess.
0: Mm. But. <laughs> all right. right, I don't like it, but all right. She now my, that now that. I have to move my silly and philosophical labels on my thing. Oh no! What? What? I had like notes on you know.
2: Um, oh,
1: she has a system.
2: Oh, what she system. has a like system so book. Oh, you got to change it. I have to change it. my whole system. <sighs> That's rough. How could they do this well, to you?
1: Tell us about this book in particular. Don't they know you're a
2: librarian? Uh, oh, I have a system. Okay.
1: Book 46. Book 46. Now that we know it's an book and we've It's an axe
0: book. Um, it is axe morphing into an adult human.
2: What's wearing he wearing? Wearing some sort of flight suit. Maybe he's having a dream. That's usually how the dreams seem to go.
0: <laughs> it looks like a flight suit, but also... It doesn't at all as it is green screen green and has some kind of weird like flight logo thing on the lapel. So it's not like an Air Force uniform.
2: Oh, I have no idea what happens in this one.
0: Great. You can help me predict too. Uh, it's called The Deception. And the, the subtext is, the Animorphs have never met this or two until now. Ha-ha! Yes. <laughs>
2: Super excited. Queen of predictions.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, that is very exciting. And I can look at the inside cover. Correct. Not help. So it is like some kind of flight suit thing, mm-hmm. Blue Angel style. He's in front of some sort of fighter jet. It's very cool. He's wearing wellies, so that's slightly less cool. But other than that, it's very cool. Um, okay, Casey, any thoughts on what then it happens in this book?
3: Um, well, Axe has to morph into a human to deceive someone.
2: Great, yes. That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what fi- who Visser Two is. Yeah. Like what kind of host body? What kind of villain? Like a more wily or like a more just like open warfare type villain?
3: I don't actually know the answers at all. I'm guessing open warfare because there's a fighter pilot, right? Like
0: this is very much what I'm thinking. I don't know. Yeah. Also, it doesn't make sense to have another subtle villain after we've just gotten rid of Visser One. So I feel like this is going to be a Visser Three. Turn it up to eleven. And they they're gonna there's gonna be yeah more open warfare style tactics. I don't know what their host is going to be. Taxon. Maybe they, they. Yeah, it's the taxon. Taxon?
2: No, no. Presumably wow. they that get a human. To the ranks. Yeah,
0: Oof. but I think but they was, must get yeah, a human at some point. Um, okay, so I think uh, we're finally gonna meet this or two. I think it's gonna pick up right where we left off uh, with, with Jake talking to the, the Andalites because we have to find out what happens in that conversation. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but if it's from X's perspective and not Jake's, I guess it'll be more about the Andalites themselves and kind of what they're doing and their plans for the for Earth as opposed to for the Anadi system or whatever else. And then we're going to meet Visser too and we're going to have to fight him or her because that that's what we do now. Um, yes. And I like Casey's prediction that we're going to have to deceive
3: this or two I think he acts has to like go and like pretend to be part of this or two's army or Air Love Force. It. yeah that makes sense with the cover yeah are they going to be on earth yeah because there's a blue yeah. sky so it looks like earth <laughs>
0: And That's there's, like, the true. blue a angels point. in the background, so they're definitely... Yeah. Mm.
3: And it doesn't doesn't look like a spacecraft that he was flying. It looks like a regular plane, but yeah, according to my extensive knowledge
2: of spacecraft. Is Visser 2 a challenge to Visser 3's authority on Earth? Well,
0: that depends on whether Visser 3 has been catapulted and ranked to Visser 1 or is still Visser mm. 3, and now both of them are competing for Visser 1
2: they're competing for viscer one that could nice. be or maybe yeah two is just there to support
0: i think they're probably competing for it that seems more mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. maybe they're having like a race and whoever wins the race with the fastest plane gets to be viscer okay, 1. okay i like it
1: so wait your prediction is that axe becomes viscer one
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, axe is part of viscer two squadron that's supposed to help him win but instead he sabotages it for some reason No, he wants Visser 2 to win because he doesn't want Visser 3 to become Visser 1. But they
0: do want Visser Visser 3 to become Visser 1 because Visser 2 is just as power-hungry and war-thirsty, but more competent.
2: Oh, Um, but does he or she have as many bad morphs? Because that's really where Visser 3 gets you. I mean, he does not get you, is the thing about Visser 3. (laughs) That's true. He actually has never gotten them. So that's a good point. Okay, great point.
1: So I want to know about this. So this is the beginning of the end. How do you think it's going to play out the next nine books?
3: Okay. Well, I don't know.
1: And Casey, you should jump in because you don't know anything about the ending, right?
2: I know one spoiler that I accidentally spoiler read.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Be judicious. Do you
2: know who dies? But, because- yeah, I don't really know much. <laughs> I hope at it all. was Marco's dad's first name. I don't I kept, that's your spoiler.
1: Every time I said Marco's dad this episode, I cringed inside because he does have a name and it's a stupid spoiler for us to keep. It's Watch really it? stupid.
3: What's it's his, his name. Marco? Marco. is his name. I also feel like
1: Marco? at this point, <laughs> also Marco.
0: Marco's <laughs> name is actually Marco Jr.
1: <laughs> oh, no. No wonder he's he's got such a complex about being short.
2: Oh, ma'am. <laughs> I'm surprised that the kids at school call him Junior cuz that seems like a. be That's ridiculous. my theory is
3: that his dad's name is also Marco.
1: Then I'll I'll leave it a mystery for
2: <laughs> a future <laughs> book. Yeah. Okay, well i put his it, dad's name is also a We it's learn
0: Marco's dad's
2: prediction <laughs> for 51. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate
0: your organization. Yes, I'm going to update my endgame prediction slightly. So a thing that I think happens is one of them dies. Oh, okay. Based
1: on, like, genre Based on genre and
0: how very annoyed people are at the end of the series. I know people hate <laughs> it. I don't know why. And if after 54 books you kill off one of your favorite six characters, that seems like a good reason to hate a series. Mm, so okay. I had originally Logical. thought... Thank you. I had originally thought it would be Cassie, again, for, like, genre and emotional manipulation reasons. But then it couldn't be Cassie because it was a Cassie book. But now it's not a Cassie book anymore. So I'm going back to that. Cassie dies.
2: All right. Nice prediction.
0: May not be... I mean, whatever. I don't know what
2: I'm doing.
1: But in terms of how...
0: Do the Andalites come help them? Yeah. In
1: terms of how, like, the logistics play out. I'm curious. You've talked about Visser 3's promotion. Jenny asked about the Andalites. mm -hmm. That's good. Marco's... It has very different circumstances now. Like what else is going to happen? What else might change? Where do you, where do you think it's all yes. going?
0: Excellent questions. All. So um, I think that Marco's mom will have some good um, advice for them, but that the parents will not be otherwise involved. And a thing that I, I want to have happen is some kind of, of peace between the Yerks and the humans that there has to be a way to get the Yerks off the planet. And I cannot see a good way for this to be all-out war. Also, that plays into viscer 3's hands. I don't want to do that. So maybe as part of this conversation with the Andalites, they realize that they can't rely on the Andalites to come and save them. So they have to think more about outside the box of other options. And somehow they make an arrangement with the Council of Thirteen that Earth will be off-limits for the Yerks who have to go elsewhere, and the reward for the Yerks will be android bodies, some kind of symbiotic species, the Elemist comes, I don't know. But um, then also we have to figure out what happens with the Elemist and Cryak. They have to defeat Cryak. That is very important. It's on my bingo card, and it gets me bingo. So they have to defeat Cryak, but maybe the Elemist uh, is involved somehow in those negotiations for question mark reasons. Maybe once Kryak is taken care of, he can come back and be like, hey, you guys
2: did great. Have a yerk-free earth. Uh. <laughs> all right. Yeah.
1: Love it. I'm so excited. It's going
2: to be great to read about all this. I'm
1: so excited for the next nine books, or at least seven of them.
2: <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> I'm still hesitant, but I loved this one, so now I'm more optimistic. Okay. I think it's going to be great. Excellent. Any, any last thoughts?
1: I was just going to say the last book in the series that this ghostwriter wrote is one of the ones that I'm not looking forward to reading. So I don't know if it's going to be like 41 fault. or like, yeah, it's almost certainly Probably not got a bad fault, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see.
3: Casey, any last thoughts? Oh, um, maybe if they, I think maybe the analyses could come help in some ways. Like maybe they can just like be like the backup muscle and they don't actually like fight the Yerkes. but nice. they could like, and maybe the w- reason they could confi- convince the Analyze to actually, like come, is they can be like. By the way, we killed Visser one. Like, surely they would listen to that. Maybe, good maybe point. not. Just get the bureaucracy.
2: <laughs> they just kill the top ranking Visser. Oh, that's a yeah. point. Yeah, they should really take
0: advantage.
3: Mm-hmm. So, okay, like, I don't know, but I'm really excited, and the fact that I have no idea what's gonna happen is just more exciting because it's gonna surprise me.
2: Yay! Well, it so fun they to have you, have you so on. Much. I'm so you To be here for this, this pivotal book.
3: Really I know. Fun. Oh my god! So, I love I've this been book.
1: waiting for this one for like. 20 books. I'm <laughs> so glad nice. I got to be on for
0: this one. We're so happy to have you. Yay. Thank you. Okay, stay safe.
2: If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. This is, side note, just reminding me how excited I am to read the alternamorphs Gray segment for today. Oh no. <laughs>